You're listening to episode 209 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. The fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah. Welcome, everyone, to the Snyder Cut Comics Pals! Oh, God, no. What? I did not see that coming. Oh, okay, yeah, I was like, what the <laughs> We're about to break happening? four or five hours here, huh? That's right. We got everyone here. We got Daddy's Little Monster, the damaged Marco. He made it into this edition of the movie, the podcast. We don't have a lieutenant of Darkseid. We have Sean Side himself here. He's <laughs> our antagonist. <laughs> You don't need to CGI my mustache out. We got Sean four is. hours of this. Four hours of Phil's mustache. <laughs> Are you trying to argue with me? Wait, what's your wife's name, Kale? Something about peach tea? Je- Jessica. I loved someone named Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's got better as time went on. It it did, yeah. And Pete's the Green Lantern. Boys! Because I'm not there. (laughs) (laughs) No, because everyone can hear you shouting from across the theater like you should be there. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Wow, all right. Uh, Wow, a winner for Phil. Pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're right, that was incredibly stupid, but it was very good. (laughs) Decent, yeah. I like it. Welcome to the show. We've got a lot of things to talk about this week. Uh, happy to be joining you guys. It feels good today. It feels good. All five of us are here. Marco, Pete, Kale, Phil, we all made it. Uh, we're all healthy, relatively. We're all happy, relatively. And we're here to talk about comics. Relatively. Compared to what? That's true. Um, nice. Sean Side Compared is. to last year. Sean Side is. Yeah, No. <laughs> <laughs> compared to last year don't think so <laughs> well we're we're relatively happy compared to last oh okay i'll take that <laughs> yeah you know like hey it's bad but at least year, we're together you know yeah exactly you know it's not like we had a different president last year um all right yeah so we've got a couple of reviews on tap We've got the Excalibur 13 and X-Men 13 <laughs> reviews. Excited to talk about those books. And in our main topic, we're actually going to be talking about a controversial subject, something that popped up a couple of weeks ago and I haven't been able to get out of my mind. So that means we got to talk about it on the show. Hey. Are superheroes actually bad for us as a culture? Mm. Yep. All right, show's over. <laughs> That's it. Show's over, everyone. See you next week. Da, 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 da. Bow. <laughs> if you're interested in any of those things, you're going to want to stick around, and there's a ton of other stuff we're going to be doing here. I want to let you guys know how you guys can join in on the fun, interact with us, and follow us beyond mm-hmm. the show. First of all, if you want to get us on social media, we are the Comics Pals. Wherever you type that in, we'll come up. Don't know if we're on LinkedIn. Is that considered social media? Ask Marco. Yeah, but it's the comic. It, it, oh, it sucks. Okay. Apparently, they have influencers. Yeah, really? I saw this I, recently. Yeah, can we like? Let's get um, on there. 
We could. <laughs> what's that? What's that shitty one that um LinkedIn. that uh, Zach? <laughs> no, well, that Zach Snyder's always trying to get over. Um, he has like like he's on some other social media that he. Oh, was it that oh. Russian one that? Yes, yes. The what Russian the fuck one. was that called? Oh yeah, I was love that we're promoting all things Zach Snyder today. That's that's Mastodon. Was that it? Not Mastodon. Oh, that's that's what you are, motherfucker. That fucking that's a metal band. <laughs> no, feel, there, yeah. It there was it was something like that. It's like mammoth Vero. Is it Vero? Vero. Vero. Yeah, that's it. It was yeah, it was Vero. I was gonna say I feel like Kale would be a mastodon for some reason. That's what I said. My man's yeah, old I mean, and he's wooly. Is that the that's the the Power yeah. Rangers mech that he would pilot? Yes, yes, mastodon. That's exactly. You know what? what? Okay, hang on. Shut up. I was thinking about <laughs> the, this week because I uh, on Tokushoutsu they have been Whoa, showing all sorts of like um, uh, the old Sentai stuff. Are you so watching? And the, 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 uh, <laughs> the old Sentai stuff. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> those words more. are unfortunately close together. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> Never put that together. Um, Super. But uh, so the red. I was. I was watching one that I really like, and for the first time, I really related to the the Red Ranger, the Red pro- protagonist, because he like works in a restaurant. He's really disgruntled about it. Oh, too. But then I started thinking about it. And I was also like. But the Red Ranger is typically super someone, someone super determined, super, someone super fired up and won't stop no matter what. And I went, that's just not me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> At best, I would be I would be the uh, the black guy. <laughs> or, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Can you shut up for a second? Can you shut up, Sean? The, what do you have to say? <laughs> no, let Tail say what he has to say. I'm trying to know. You know the, the interchangeable Black Ranger, Green Ranger, in every uh, uh, season, they're they're typically the uh, the the ones that are more um, uh, stoic and shitty. Oh, okay. What do you, so, what do you think oh, about so Black, Black Rangers? Are stoic and shitty. Well, so are the green ones. Oh, it's okay if other colored rangers are, are also the same thing, huh, Kale? I mean, yeah. They use okay, them interchangeably. I don't. Guys, it's uh, not my at trope. Home, guys at home listening, we're really sorry. We don't share the same, you know, archaic opinions as Kale on this show. We don't. <laughs> we know Texas that all here. green and black rangers aren't the same, etc. It typically takes Kale like about an hour and a half into the show. Or later to say something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. It's the earliest it's ever happened. Once you get revved up, I mean, we were talking a lot off air, but once you get revved up and a little bit loose, that's when you say some some weird shit, some weird and Texas what, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, let me. Uh, the let me bla- get the, the black guy was right there. Like I couldn't. I couldn't not grab that one. You guys took it to the racist even, place. I'm not even going to touch the sentences said. that come out of your mouth. <laughs> I needed to back. grab the black guy. <laughs> Marco, clip that. <laughs> Marco's ears have perked up twice. Once we mentioned hentai, the second time when he said he's going to grab the black guy. Black the black guy. Black the grab guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, if for some reason you still want to interact with us, 
You can reach out to us at thecomicspilots.gmail.com. Additionally, if you're watching this on YouTube, we thank you. If you're not, that's cool too. But either way, you should click that subscribe button. It helps us out a lot. You can drop us a comment there. Share the video with your friends. And uh, hit the notification bell so you're made aware of when we drop new content. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. We have a Discord server that we encourage you to join. We are always having really fun, engaging conversations over there. Not just the five of us, but, you know, a lot of our listeners um, have come and joined the Discord. And, uh, you know, a lot of the conversations that we have on this show extend to that. So it's a great way to interact with the community of other pals and have a great time. Now, speaking of interacting with us, we actually do have a little bit of listener mail today. And uh, we're going to read that for you guys now. So, Pete, why don't you take it away? This, this one, one Vero. <laughs> yeah, this is from our Vero account. <laughs> Make sure you hit us up on our LinkedIn this week. <laughs> so this one comes from Will B. who says, Hey, pals, when readers critique a book, sometimes they'll say that a comic does or doesn't matter. I'm curious what that means to you guys. Is it about continuity or quality? I don't follow event comics and perhaps it's because i feel as though they will just be retconned and not matter quality is subjective to the reader so one person's opinion on what are seminal works of the medium can differ from another do comics like rorschach or three jokers feel like gimmicks or explorations of characters that may become a comic that matters maybe it's the uh, critical success or legacy of the work maybe it's too early to tell if a comic matters until it's complete i'm four volumes deep into 100 bullets it's incredible There's an issue that has nine splash pages and tells the story in a cinematic montage format. I've never seen that before, and that's what matters to me. Does any of this make sense? Anyway, I'm pumped for the next book club, and congrats on the 200 episodes, Will. Thanks Thanks for writing it. It's a good question, I think. Yeah, I like Um, this one. So there's a lot to kind of hash out. Um, I think... In, in, in comics, maybe, maybe more than any other medium. I don't know. Um, this question kind of pops up or people say, you know, like, what are the seminal works of of a particular creator? Um, because you're like, you're, you're the amount of books you're going to put out as a, as a comic creator is, is going to be so much more than pretty much any other medium, right? Cause. You know, you're putting out. You, if you're if you're writing regularly, you probably have two to three books a month that you're doing, and your career, if you're really good, will probably last twenty to thirty years. Um, so the volume of work you're going to do is going to be tremendous. And then when you talk about characters, you know, Batman's been around for like what are we talking about? Has it been a hundred years or something like 10, that? I think. Um, yeah. So. There have been so many runs on Batman and the language that we use to talk about the books that matter, as you say, and don't matter is really just a way of saying, okay, these are the books that you should pay your pay attention to first. These are the ones that really demand your attention. And yes, there are tons of other things you can read. If you absolutely love Batman and you want to really dive in, there's, hundreds of great stories or well okay there's probably not a hundred great stories but there's plenty <laughs> of great stories um but here are the ones that are the most essential <clears throat> and i think i like that word a little better essential versus what matters and doesn't sure um and so i, 
I guess the criteria for that is just books that transcend that feeling of, okay, this was cool versus wow, that was, that was mind blowing. And when a bunch of us come to the consensus of, wow, that was mind blowing. I think that's when a book does get elevated. If it, if it, if it changes the way we talk about that character, if it defines the, the medium, if it defines the character, all of those things are factors. And, um, I guess it is subjective in terms of quality, but I wouldn't, I almost wouldn't even say, uh, quality is always the absolute top thing when it comes to books that matter in that, in that sense. Sure. Um, and then as far as like books like Rorschach and Three Jokers, uh, could Three Jokers be a defining book for Batman? Yeah, sure. It could, but it depends on, you know, how it ends. Um, I think it has a good shot based on the way the story is being told and the creative team and the freedom that they have. Um, but that's for the history books to tell it. Certainly not us at this time. I think, I think that's the interesting wrinkle to it is that like, um, you know, Will brings up, uh, 100 Bullets, which is obviously not a big two book. And I think it's way easier to judge those books by just like their inherent quality, right? Like Sean said, where it's that books that are not part of a larger, you know, um, like media conglomerates universe or whatever, I think are solely judged on their merit, right? It's like, oh, if this is a good, memorable book. Or, you know, if it is adapted into something that really connects in a large cultural way, um, those are kind of the deciding factors, right? When it, when it comes to the big two, there are probably lots of comics that are very good that you could say don't necessarily, quote unquote, matter, right? Because it's a self-contained story or it's this or that. And if you're somebody who comes to the big two specifically for, you know, the continuity and like what this means for the universe or the history of the character or whatever, that's a way different criteria than just, is it good? You know? Um, so like you could look at something like what's been going on in, um, you know, the, this age of, of X-Men, right? And it, it's, it, it's impossible to argue that this era doesn't matter because it's a totally new direction for the X-Men. It's one that seems to be, you know, cemented and that it's going to go for like several years or, you know, encompass all these different books. And, you know, it's, it's an era that you'll look back on in the same way that you can be like, oh, like, you know, uh, the, you know, the Claremont era, right? Like there are like beats of that, that you're like, these are important X-Men stories, you know? And that's what's kind of weird about it is that, I think that is a go ahead. Go ahead, Kel. Do you have something to jump in? Well, I, I was just going to say it's funny that you say that because there have already been issues of X Men specifically where I've been like, "Oh, this doesn't matter." Right, and and that's the thing is I don't think it's like even necessarily run by run as much as it can sometimes just be issue by issue. Even yeah. Um. So I think it's like it's a way more complicated question than is it good or is it bad when you're talking about does it quote unquote matter in the grand scheme of a multiverse, you know, or whatever like that. But I think that's kind of like, to me, that's always been the appeal of those things. Like I know when I was first really getting into comics in like a more serious way, like rather than just reading books that appealed to me, I was fascinated by the fact that like, you know, both the Marvel and DC universe have such wide stretching reach and like these very obscure corners where like, you know, you could be, 
someone like me who's like read Marvel comics off and on since I was 16 years old and there's hundreds of characters that I know nothing about, you know? And like, do they, do they matter? Maybe it depends on, I guess, like what you care about too, right? Because you could never read Marvel cosmic and only read street level characters and what's happening out in space doesn't matter to you, but it matters to somebody who reads the cosmic stuff, you know? So it, it is very subjective, I think, based on, your scope and like, what are the things that you value in, you know, big two comics. And I think even in the discussion of big two comics, one of the things, or at least like one of the questions that I sometimes think about is, does the continuity even matter? Because then there are ways that stories can be told outside of continuity that maybe have some greater essential value than those that are, you know, quote unquote in continuity, but those pieces get carried over into future iterations of the character, even though it's never been part of that same timeline. Stuff, and as well as in terms of continuity, stuff that just completely takes away or utterly changes continuity. Sure. Yeah, because like stuff that's bad can matter just as much as stuff that's good if it's influential. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think the, the continuity wrinkle... Uh, slightly alters the conversation but i guess it depends on the at that point i think it does depend on the reader because there are certainly events you could read right now like um you know i guess the crises immediately come to mind where a lot of that stuff does not matter in the sense of it's 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 no longer um the continuity like the echoes of it aren't being felt in what's being published right now right um, unless you count metal but um it kind, of, it kind of is in the sense that that stuff influences the writers before yeah but i, I guess i i mean like literally the events yeah, yeah, that yeah. that are that are happening in those books and so someone might pick up like crisis on infinite earths for example and say okay uh this is amazing now what how does this affect what I'm reading in Justice League. And someone says, well, it doesn't. This this, and this happened to in- eliminate that from continuity or make that invalid. That person could then say, well, this book doesn't matter and I wasted my time. Sean, um, would you would you ahead. say that, um, would you say cries for justice matters? <laughs> See, that's the- It doesn't matter. Oh. <laughs> I, I, think, I think though, to, to sort of build on the point, uh, like, uh, especially what, what Will sent over just on- him feeling as though because something's gonna get retconned it won't matter i think to your point sean in the moment of that that first crisis mattered and then since then has been retconned just whatever extent and quote-unquote doesn't but that doesn't remove the inherent value of it affecting the universe prior and i think one of the the things about uh, specifically superhero comics is the way that retcon is just or retconning is just part of the overall narrative as well like that has to be put into consideration because there the the comics from a story perspective aren't static but neither is the neither is the the in-universe details like those things can can change in a whim and if they do then that obviously matters, but it doesn't invalidate those things that came before it. And that's why I think when it, if you're talking about continuity, you kind of have to just sit back and enjoy the book. And you can't worry so much about, does this matter? Is this going to matter in two years? Like, 
okay, we all love the X-Men uh, era that we're in. In a couple of years when Jonathan Hickman says, all right, I'm going to DC now, and they break up Krakoa, they stop that, and now the X-Men are back at the mansion, did the House and Powers era matter? Yes. Is it still uh, mattering in the books? Maybe not. But that doesn't negate the quality. It doesn't negate that moment. And you can certainly still pick up House and Powers or whatever comes later that is still in that era and enjoy it just fine. And so I really don't think you can be too hung up with that. I'm not sure, uh, Will. You should write in, actually, and let us know uh, how long you've been reading comics and you know your history with the books because – uh, you mentioned you don't read event books because of that issue. And I'm, I'm really interested in whether or not that's a long standing habit or just something, you know, you're a newer reader and that's kind of your stance right now on that. Sure. Um, but again, thank you so much for the question. Will. we really appreciate it. And if you guys want to write in and have your question read on the air, uh, you can absolutely write to us at the comics pals at gmail.com. But also, you can uh, hit us up on the Discord with your questions as well. Either way, we'll read it on the air. Thank you. Let's jump into the Pals Pulls. And we're going to start off with Marco, who has a book that I know he's been looking forward to for quite some time. Blue and Green, number one. Ooh, oh, yeah. I forgot out. about this, Marco. That album came out in 56, I want to say. So it's been a long time coming, finally getting a chance to dive in. Uh, no, this is uh, a image book from Ram V, who recently did the uh, some of the Swamp Thing Halloween stuff. So I got a, like a small taste of his writing chops, and I'm kind of curious to see what else he can kind of he he can pull out uh, from his hat. And considering that this is an image series, it's likely going to be something more outside of the box, especially considering that it's a kind of horror music bent on uh i guess on the 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 album blue and green there aren't as many details but i I do remember it being a very art focused book and i love the the artist for this anand rk i've never read any of the other stuff that they've put out but from the preview images we had reviewed a few like previewed a few weeks back uh, it was awesome, awesome stuff, and so this book uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for, and uh, I, I definitely think you should pick it up if it's something that you're interested in from a music or like horror perspective. That, I forgot about this. This seems really dope. Um, yeah, dude. Also, it's 1959. You nerd. Oh, was it? Damn. Yeah. Uh, if you were there, I didn't know that. <laughs> I thought it was 56. Kale used to spin that record when it was new, so he's yeah. all, all up on it. Um. Yeah, that that's really interesting. Like, I, I'm I'm into that like elevator pitch that I I just pulled up for myself. That sounds cool. Um, and apparently, these two have worked together previously on a book called uh, Graf- Graffiti's Wall or Graffiti's Wall. Graffiti's Wall. Yeah. So that's pretty chill. I heard that book's supposed to be pretty good as well. So yeah. So from Pete, we've got Batman Three Jokers number three. Yeah, man, I've been enjoying the ride of uh, of Three Jokers. I know it's been kind of. You know, we're we're a little split on on the quality of it, I guess. But um, I, I've been into it, and you know, um, I dug the first two issues for what they were. This is the wrap, so I'm excited to see kind of where it goes. And like the fact that it's only three issues feels really weird. Like I feel like there's a lot more to do, and like 
places to go with it. So I'm kind of interested to see how it wraps up because I imagine this isn't the end and that like more stories are going to spin out of it. So see where it goes. Is it only three issues? I didn't realize it was only three issues. That's what I thought I saw when I was looking it up. I like I was pulling it up and I thought it said three of three. Yeah, it says three of three. Wow. Two of three jokers agree. It's pretty good. Did it always say three of three? That's interesting. Right? That seemed weird to me. But I always thought it was three of three. Yeah. That was always my recollection of it. Okay. All right. Um, that's cool. So uh, Pete also chose Dark Knight's Death Metal Rise of the New God, number one. What a fucking title, right? That is amazing, yeah. Sounds <laughs> very metal. Yeah, uh, I don't know too much about this book. It I, it looked to me like it was going to be like similar to um, that Trinity book that came out a, a bit ago. And we were kind of like, this is kind of weird that this isn't just like met like in the metal series you know um but like it was obviously hugely important to it um and i know that uh just from like doing a little bit of googling about it that apparently the batman who laughs is gonna fight uh perpetua in this at some capacity um so i mean that sounds pretty sick i've really been enjoying uh dark knights so uh i'm I'm down for another kind of little side story. And it's apparently 48 pages, so it's a long one. Yeah. This book is yet another one in a long line of books within the Dark Knight's Death Metal event that feels like it should just be in the story, like in the um, yep. in the main title. Uh, uh, the creative team on this one is actually really great. Uh, James Tinian and Brian Edward Hill writing it. Solid. Nice. With art art by uh, Jesus Moreno and uh, Nick Varela. So that's that's very good. Now, I have to tell you guys that this book has exactly two covers. And <laughs> one of them <laughs> is $6, right? So one of the, the, the regular cover A is $6. 48 pages, sure. Yeah, that's fair, I guess. Uh, cover B is $85. What? Like why? Why is it so much? Well, it's a it's it's an ins- first of all, cover B is absolutely amazing. I'm I'm Can you send a I'm, link? Yeah, I'll I'll send you guys a link now. Um it's by Boss Logic. Oh yeah. Uh oh, it, oh, okay. Sean, why don't you yeah. just share it on your screen? Sure, yeah, I can do that. Uh I will pull it up now. Cool. I really one? like the A cover uh, where it's the Batman who laughs like like basically his ethereal form like coming from space and he's like scratching up the globe. Very cool. Sorry. No, it's uh, fine. Um, I can't believe the boss baby did the other cover. <laughs> <laughs> now my question is while you guys, while you're pulling that up, does it matter? <laughs> Not to me. Can you guys see this? Yes. Oh, you know what? That is, that is a oh, watch along. sick fucking cover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It says it's only fifty nine bucks. I mean five dollars. <laughs> it does Word, say six dollars. Right? Uh, wait, it, no, that's five hundred ninety nine dollars. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So yeah, wipe wipe your screen. There's probably there's a little there must be a little bug there where the <laughs> a bug. <laughs> All right. This is Midtown jacking up the price because it's a variant. No, it's not just Midtown. Um, 
that's like a sticker price on a lot of websites. Is it really? Damn, Sean, you gotta go to my shop. He'll be like, it's six bucks. It's whatever. Take it, dude. <laughs> oh my god, I would, I would definitely take that for six bucks. Uh from Kale, we've got Colonel Weird Cosmogog number one. Yeah, so this is uh, another Black Hammer miniseries. Uh, this one is the one by Jeff Lemire and Tyler Crook on the art. Oh. Um, I've been hot on Tyler Crook. I started uh, Harrow County yes. last week. And uh, man, is, that dude is good. He's got some fucking talent. Mm-hmm. Um, Colonel Weird is one of the weirdest. Uh. He's one of the weirdest uh, members of the Black Hammer crew, and uh, he he's he's sort of your your Adam Strange astronaut character, um, but he he was caught in some uh, mid ground of the the transport that got the uh, the Black Hammer crew stuck on this farm, and he is like messed up because of it like he's all spaced he's spaced out <laughs> um but um nice he uh uh so he goes between the worlds and he's all up in the universe and uh so this will be cool to see what the hell his deal is okay i still gotta find my in to that uh to that world i'd start with black hammer like the the proper series, okay, and then everything else is a uh, just a an expansion on the on the universe. You also chose Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: The Last Ronin, number one. So you know those old man titles at Marvel that we make fun of. Yes, it seems like that's what this is for the mm, Ninja Turtles. Old man Raph. Yeah, who's the last like- Ronin? I think it's Raphael. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I think it's Raphael. It's got to be, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Should have been Leo. Hey, I'm with look, you. I don't disagree. Yeah. Uh, I kind of picture old Raphael being like stick from Daredevil. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but there was a premise to this that seemed really cool. And I, it's an angle to the turtles that doesn't feel like has been covered in the many years of cartoons and comic books. And I really enjoy the, uh, this generation of comic books. Uh, IDW's run has been really, really good. Um, so I mean, I've been waiting for this one. All right. Gonna have to buy it now. He sold me. Um, that shitty explanation is what sold you, but you still won't read chainsaw man. Yeah, because I just know it's not for me. When you described it as a dude who's got a chainsaw for a face, that's like, I'm not into that. <laughs> Look at Marco. Marco, am I wrong? It's Mar- Marco's perked up exactly twice in this episode. It's when hentai came up <laughs> and when a chainsaw for a face came up. So, uh, Kale and Phil both chose Absolute Swamp Thing Volume 2. Nice. I, yes. I chose Volume 1, baby. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. One sorry, and two okay. come out, right? Yeah, That's right. right. Yeah, the new edition. And okay, cool. So, uh, Kale, you can speak to yours. Phil, you speak to yours. At yeah, the same sure. Time, so, here we go. So, okay, oh, yeah. yep. 
<laughs> so volume two of uh, Alan Moore Swamp. Oh, we're not doing it at the same time. <laughs> I was going to make some bullshit up. <laughs> you guys were doing exactly what I wanted. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, yeah, so I, you know, it's- <laughs> I missed the, uh, the Swamp Thing book club and uh, I'm hot on Swamp Thing. I re- really, truly am. Um, and I, I know we made Marco a joke about it over 400 episodes of this goddamn podcast, but I get it. I fucking get it. And I'm in. No, I, and, I don't know what you're uh, talking about, Kale. We've all always been pro Swamp Thing. We are the biggest <laughs> Swamp Thing fans on the internet. This was, this was going to be a Swamp Thing podcast, but then we decided we should open it up to like a slightly broader audience. It's cool that after 200 episodes, we finally got Marco into Swamp Thing because he just insisted he would never read it. Ever. Avoided it like the plague. Avoided it like COVID. He's like, I am a man thing fan because I'm a man thing. I love R.L. Stein. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I only have three absolute editions on my shelf as it is. I have a lot of omnibuses. Uh, I'd like to get in the business of uh, owning more absolute editions, though. I don't think there's any better to own than the Swamp Thing collection, which, as far as I'm aware, doesn't actually have an omnibus print. No, it does not. Right. So this is a, as terrific a, an opportunity as any, frankly. Uh, wow. Now, unfortunately, Boss Logic didn't do the cover to any of these, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll make do. We'll make do somehow. Uh, and then Pete and I chose X of Swords Stasis, number one. This is kind of the the breather point. Um, every every like chapter, every month will end with a with one of these types of books. Um, I guess the event also started with one of these as well. Uh, I have no idea what's going to happen in Stasis. I hope we're now reaching the point where this whole tournament thing can begin. Um, but I, I mean, I'm excited. I when you say it's a breather, I just picture everyone that's sitting around in a circle waiting. Just it's an issue where they just kind of talk and hang out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been sitting here for like two months straight. It's, I guess we should like get to know each other better. It's called magic, stasis, you, right? So, magic. Have you even gone to the bathroom since you've been here? Ah, <sighs> yeah. That circle kills me. Yeah, that circle kills me, and I think it's so funny. Um, obviously, I wasn't on the last two episodes, but like I was catching up, and like the end of the um, Marauders thing, where like Storm just shows up, and they're just both literally just sitting there, and they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah I knew you'd get there eventually." <laughs> now it's funny because Magic hasn't been going to the bathroom, but Wolverine's been going nonstop. Well, Wolverine pissed in hell, two, but he's he got pissed two, all over hell. Oh, he's got two dicks, so that's you know that's true. <laughs> Pissed in hell and on Krakoa. I got a regular one and a whiskey dick. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh <my> God. God. <laughs> I didn't I didn't like that at all. Yuck. A regular one. <laughs> Horrifying. Uh, so before we get into our reviews here, I actually have a PSA for you guys, something I Ooh. think you'll you'll want to know. Now I am only telling you this because I already secured this for myself. I love everybody on this podcast <laughs> and all the listeners. I love me too. And I love me some Alan Moore. Specifically, oh. a book that we've been talking about for a really long time. It's oh, coming back to print. Providence. Oh, get out. Are you serious? I'm so serious. So... um. What is what is happening is um, 
it's actually being reprinted. Okay. Finally. So Avatar Press is uh, publishing. I mean, they they're saying it's their most demanded product in history. They're oh. publishing the whole thing in several different formats. I will uh, I will share a link with you guys. I will show you guys. Um, it's it's pretty cool. So they're publishing the the hardcover deluxe set. There's also going to be a Kickstarter, by the way. What? But they're publishing the the hardcover deluxe set, um, for sixty bucks, which is really not bad considering. Can you guys see? Is everything okay? Yes. Yeah, you're good. All right. So you got the the deluxe set here, which just gives you the book itself, and then um the the nightmares of Providence, which are like written written and drawn by different creative teams. They're like stories within that world. Um, Wait, were those were those additional like issues? I don't no, they're new. They're they're these are new stories. Oh, oh. Okay. yeah, they're, cool. they're new stories. Uh, so they have that version. They have the uh, the nightmares revealed set, which just gives That's you a cool uh, cover. Yeah, yeah, it's a very cool cover. Um, it's really awesome, actually. It just gives you a few more of the of the nightmares of providence stories um now these are two separate books or it's just different versions that have different levels of content uh they just have different levels of content okay so each one has the whole run but then that one has extra stories in the universe yeah got it um and then this one the books of the dead this is real this is legit for 250 (sighs) right fuck you know, it's not chump change. Damn, dude. You, you get the hardcover signed by both creators, Alan Moore and Jason Burroughs. You get the um, all the other stuff that we talked about. But then you also get the Neonomicon <gasps> signed hardcover. That was my reaction, Marco. That was my same reaction. What? <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Which, by the way... Super hard to find um, the the Neonomicon. I found one in Spanish yesterday. Really? Yeah. Um, but I can't read Spanish. Ha! Give it to me. Um, and then yeah. if you really, really love it, you can buy the big boy. The $600. $600? Marco, you got this, man. Look at this cover, though. Oh, dude. That is really cool. Marco, you got this, dude. Wait, wait, scroll down, scroll down. Was that the Necronomicon? Oh, that's it. Yeah, this is gonna take up an entire shelf. Oh my oh, god, this, this is, is amazing. Yeah, and those are all the different like covers you get. Um, I forgot Necronomicon's got that really gross shit in it. Ne- you know, what isn't I'm it a Neonomicon? Neonomicon. That is yeah. Neonomicon. You know what I'm talking about. Wait, so uh, but how can I get these additional stories alone? Because you can't. I, you have to get these things in order to get those extra stories. Yeah, that's fucked up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll probably bonus. never. Damn, dude! I already dropped two hundred bucks on a book. I don't oh, have six hundred dollars for a book set. That's insane. That was a good book, Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. What would you rather, Marco? Real question. Real talk. Oh my yeah. God. Would you rather drop six hundred dollars on this Alan Morris set from Avatar Press or the two hundred dollars on Onslaught that you spent? This. Yeah, <laughs> okay, there's redemption here, folks. 
All right, so Marco's not insane. Glad we uh, yeah. covered that ground. <laughs> Good. So if you were one of the people who we were speaking about Providence with, go pick up your copy. This will not last, I can almost guarantee you. And uh, I believe every edition except the uh, the actual uh, base hardcover will not be available in the Kickstarter. So those are exclusive to the website while supplies last. No, they're not paying you. Yes, I <laughs> wish they were. Give us a call. <laughs> My phone number is... <laughs> it's pretty suspicious you brought that up on your own, Sean. Um, yeah, but let's not talk about it any further. All right. So <laughs> let's, let's jump into our review, one of two, actually. Let's get into uh, Excalibur number 13, part 9 of 22 of X of Swords. 10 of Swords, excuse me. Trucking along, I, part I did that nine. when I hosted two weeks ago, a bunch. I just kept wanting to say X of Swords. I know. I, I wonder why. Them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Excalibur is Teeny Howard and R.B. Silva with colors by uh, Nolan Woodard and letters by Ariana Weyer from VC. And, uh, of course, Tom Muller. This was... Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, this is a solid issue. I dug this. Um, it definitely made me. I've been like wanting to go back and catch up on this book anyway, yeah. um, and they, this kind of like reminded me why. Of I, I really, really dig um, uh, 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 Silva's art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, well, that's Marcus Toe is on the old Excalibur stuff. I, I mean, like this pre this pre this issue. Yeah. Oh, okay. Did. Hmm. Okay. But fair enough. Um, but either well, way, Marcus Toe is fucking amazing. Anyway, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I was yeah, gonna say I does. really liked the first two or three issues that we we reviewed, um, and I, I dug that that style a lot. So I guess that's probably why I didn't realize it was different. I was like, oh yeah, I really like the this. books. Always look good. Yeah. Um. So that being said, um, I thought it was a great artistic issue, but I also I don't know. I'm like really into like this whole look for Betsy, right? Like, she's, like, finding this new identity for herself. There's all this family drama, you know? Like, I don't know. It, it's, like, a lot of themes that speak to me in superhero stories in general. Um, so, as much as I like this as, like, an entry in the X of Swords thing, I think it did more for me as, like, a, man, I really gotta go back and read the, like, ten issues of this I missed. I oh, think uh, you yeah. specifically would get a lot out of it, uh, of everybody on this show. If you went back, um, I'm going to start my talk about this issue with a massive criticism. Hit it. Hit us. It's, it's unacceptable, uh, to be honest. Yes. Why did they make Saturnine shorter? I knew you were going to say something about <laughs> like that, dude. I was <laughs> waiting for it. You want to know why? Hmm. Because she wanted that sort of X, though. <laughs> That's exactly why. And I was so tight. I was reading this book. The first thing I noticed, I'm not even joking, was, oh, my God, Saturnine is not nine feet tall. What is wrong with this world? <laughs> and then I saw her with Brian, and I was like, oh, that's why they did it. Yep. Yeah. To make Unless him Brian's not 10 look. feet tall, and we didn't know. 
Right, but the, even she stands almost toe to toe with Betsy. I I feel like Betsy she she made herself shorter because she wants the D. Like that's just it. Yes. <laughs> the sword of D. The sword of D. <laughs> <laughs> the Braddock blade. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yo, also, just real quick. This show's over. Nope, we're done. <laughs> I was just going to say, the Sword of Might would also be a cold fucking nickname for your member. <laughs> can, we, can we not bring up my personal business on this show, please? Thanks. You already brought up your whiskey dick. I have to deal with that image now. <laughs> he has a whiskey dick. He has a cider dick. Also, um... <laughs> Fuck, that was good. That He's was got good. a tonic dick. He's got a mosa dick. <laughs> Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, Marco boy. Good God. Why Why wasn't he like, hey, give me like 15 minutes. And then before they jumped in to steal the sword. Oh. <laughs> You're projecting, homie. He's a married man, Marco. <laughs> he said so. <laughs> but he wasn't like, oh, hold on. The, the plan needs like 15 minute buffer. Hold on. Wait, Marco, what if like he truly doesn't need 15 minutes? <laughs> My man's a two-minute Iron Man. He, a minute he man. got in, got out. That's oh my right. God, stop. She, she mind-controlled me. I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a no. Spell. I didn't. I Shut anything. up, Saturnine. <laughs> All right, let's let's talk about the let's talk about the, the merits of the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I I I enjoyed this book. Um, I I gotta tell you, like, I'm not that invested in all the Captain Britain stuff. Mm. Yeah. It's it's on the lower end of things I care about in in the whole X Men stuff. Um, but I have become for for reasons of just like story reasons, very interested in Saturnine um, and what she's involved with. Um, and I I, I do enjoy. The, the Betsy Brian relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like how that plays out in this issue. I, I, I like, I want Brian to be Captain Britain just because that's his identity. And, and, you know, Betsy's Psylocke, right? So like, I, well, I guess she's not anymore. Yeah, right. Um, that's the thing. It's all so, so weird, but now he has an identity. As uh, what was it? What was it? What was his name again? Albion, name? Captain Albion, um, Captain, Captain Avalon. Avalon. Avalon, yes. And close. his and his costume as Captain Avalon is amazing. That shit whips, dude. Yeah, the whole like like the white trim in the middle is like that looks so fucking cool. I can't be the only person who thought he looked like one of the Phoenix Five, right? Oh yes, I didn't think that mm. at the time, but I can see that for sure. I, yeah, I because of the smoke and then his color scheme, I was like, "Wait, what happened here?" Yeah, that I that I I literally went back. I was like, "Did I miss something?" The the first shot of him like in that costume where yeah, he's yeah. just got like the fire underneath his feet and everything. Yeah, that just he looks cold as fuck, dude. Like that's yeah. such a that's such a cool costume. Yeah, absolutely. Um. But but to be honest, I don't know that I have a ton to say about this issue. It, it was yeah. it was you know it was enjoyable. I liked it, um, but it you know wasn't. And that's a that's a criticism that I have had with a lot of these issues of of Ten of Swords is that they're fine, they're good, whatever, um, but they don't feel essential. 
this didn't we don't need to have seen this i don't think you're saying yeah. it doesn't matter um yeah kind of like i mean like if you read excalibur and this was just a tie-in let's say let's say ten of swords was a seven part monthly event right and if excalibur was just a tie-in series if captain avalon appeared in the mainline story would it be that crazy that you would be like oh my god i can't believe i missed this that's essential right yeah you just be like oh okay i guess something happened in that book i might go pick it up exactly um, it, it depends um like this one and like the cable one from last week i kind of feel that way about but like the Wolverine one was uh, really satisfying. For it's just one of those things that because they're kind of doing their um, one at a time, blurring each character into the circle, uh, it's just inherently going to be up and down or in the middle. But that's for me the way I enjoy events. Like there has to be a happy medium between Dark Knight's death metal putting everything relevant in the side issues and. Ten of Swords having no tie-ins at all, but almost all of the issues so far feeling like tie-ins. There, has, there just has to be a yeah. middle ground. Yeah, I, I guess that's kind of the because I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily like disagree with what you're saying. I guess it just like didn't bother me. But I think the fact that it's presented as like this is chapter one, this is chapter two, this is chapter three, where like you feel like they should all be equally important and they're not. Um. Like, especially, like, like I, I'm with you where, like, I thought that the Wolverine couplet was satisfying, but it's, like, you don't really need to read Wolverine 6 to get what happened in 13 uh, of X-Force, like, if you don't really want to. But I guess, like, that's kind of the point of tie-ins, right? Is, like, they should edify you and expand things and, and fill in the gaps of the story, but they don't necessarily need to be there because, like, um, like I read Excalibur before I went back and read the stuff that I had missed while I was off for two weeks, just because I wanted to make sure I was ready to go. And mm. like, you know, you get to that last page and I'm like, oh, okay, so these characters already got their swords, chill. Like, I can go and read those things and see what happened, but if I don't, I don't think it's really going to impede me from getting into the tournament and being like, alright, cool, these are the players and they have their blades and let's get into it, you know? And I think it kind of has to be written that way because you don't want to force people to pick up 22 issues of books that they might not be following but if you do follow all those books, I feel like you're enriched for the experience. Right. And I, it is a tough line to walk, you know? Like, I, I definitely get what you're putting down there. Um, but I don't know. Like, I guess... I guess for me, the fact that, like, these books that do feel more like a tie-in are just kind of, like... They're by the numbers, and they are very much like, okay, this character is doing their piece so we can get to the big thing that you really care about. It's like, I... If this was happening, like, month to month, fuck that. But the fact that there's been, like, three of these every week and it's, like, not a huge gap between, like, I think the beats that are going to matter, it I don't know. It's not bothering me that much. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of agree with you, Pete. I think because, you know, we're getting two or three issues a week, um, this is, to me, kind of necessary context to kind of care about our cast of characters because if you are not totally involved with the X-Men or haven't been totally involved with Dawn of X uh, and you haven't been reading every title but you are following along you know this gives you reason to care about someone like Captain Britain who now is going to be one of your 
members in the tournament, for instance. So uh, this this is the pacing might not be everyone's liking for an event, but the contrast here is that by the time you know our you know once the tournament gets going, you will have had these you know whatever thirteen issues, ten issues, I guess. Uh, where every character has been established and, and you know, that we have that kind of necessary exposition. Yeah, and like because what the stakes we, are for them personally. Right. If we if we started the tournament without this stuff, to me, I would have looked at Captain Britain himself and been like, oh, my man going down because who the yeah. fuck cares about Captain Britain? But yeah, and we, kind of like why is he even here, you know? If, yeah. If you were a regular reader of Excalibur, you wouldn't feel that way. That's true, but the way this event is set up is that it, you know, it doesn't require you to have read all thirteen issues of every Dawn of X book. Just you know the the tie-ins or you know the ones that are involved in these first thirteen, fourteen, fifteen issues of Sword of Ten. I okay, all right. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep it going. Um, yeah, I I don't know. This this issue was cool. Um, I I. I feel a little iffy about uh, Saturnine. I knew that. Uh, I knew we were coming back to that. Well, just she's so she... fucking short. <laughs> no, no, legit. It, I, I wonder if you're going where I was thinking, Sean. It, I think it's weird that she even was. There's, there's something like something. Okay, so Saturnine is supposed to be kind of like our primary antagonist here, correct? So the fact that she was even romantically involved with one of our characters from Krakoa this early on or whatever, even though it's not like a, you know, it's not like a intended to be like a long standing romance or whatever. There's something like it, it, it kind of ruins her mystique a little. Interesting. Yeah. It, I, I felt, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. Um, it just, I'm not going to say it was stupid or, you know, anything like that. It, it was, you know, it's okay, I guess, as a turn. But it just felt like she's been in control this entire time. And she gets duped because yeah. she wants to mess with uh, Brian. And, you know, he uses that against her. She's already undermined this early. Like, mm, you See, know. It's interesting to me that you guys feel that way because it kind of reminded me of um, the the Secret Wars book club that we had had um, with like you know where the kind of like main conceit of that right was that there are these otherworldly you know creatures who are pulling the strings and are the the puppet masters as it were and the, the their downfall was that they underestimated. The, the heroes of Earth, right? And they underestimated... That's the climax, though, you know? Yeah, for sure. But I guess that's the thing, right? Is, like, I I'm with you that I think this undermines her a little bit, but I don't think it made her seem less, like, powerful to me. It just made her seem, like, fallible, right? Like, that she's not mm -hmm. as in control as she thinks she is, which doesn't necessarily, like, mean that she's not as big of a threat as we calculated, right? Because now she's pissed. Like, now... Like, it's a little more personal for her, and I wonder how that will impact the way that she behaves from here on out. Now that there's, like, a chink in the armor, you know there's a chink in the armor. And yeah. that doesn't change now. That's a problem. <clears throat> but it's also leading up to be what we assume is a tournament arc. So it doesn't, you know... I mean, at this point, 
what we're what we're picturing is you know like yes she is the person in charge but she's also not the main threat right I- immediately yeah we don't we we ultimately don't know how the story's going to play out but when the tournament begins as Kale's saying they're not fighting her they're fighting yeah. you know these other people right? right so she's kind of above all that and I felt like they brought her down a level when she should still feel like, okay, what is Saturnine's endgame? What does she personally want? How willing to get involved is she? And this kind of answered those questions at a time when I don't feel like they should be answered. Interesting. Yeah, a little early. I wondered wondered if her play here was to make Brian one of her swords. Definitely. Yeah, so she she he is one of her swords, right? Like as as a member of the the Captain Britain corpse, like that's a part of his responsibility, right? Um they're supposed to protect uh other world, right? Um so she wants him as Captain Britain to be her ultimate protector because all of the other Captain Britons are gone. Well, mm-hmm. except for the, you know, the, the clone ones. Um, which again, if you don't read Excalibur, you have no idea why Rogue and Gambit and all these people Jubilee. look like that way over my head. Yeah. Exactly. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, has Jubilee been in Excalibur? Did they just kill her like <laughs> unceremoniously? Yeah. Th- those are, those are just clones, but, I um, uh, yeah, so so she de- that definitely is what she wanted, and 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 I totally understand that. But he's gonna do that job anyway. It's his job, you know. Like he mm. he's gonna be pro- a protector of otherworld, regardless. So I, I guess that's what what I thought was kind of interesting about it. Right? Was that like I think that that is how she perceives it, and that's why she thinks that she can count on the fact that she'll be able to snap her fingers and he'll fall in line, and the mm. fact that his bond to his family and his siblings is greater than that is the thing that she couldn't anticipate, you know? Yeah. And I, I guess I would also point out he is a guardian of other world, not necessarily Saturnine because my, my, uh, uh, you know, and this, this is just based on what we read in this issue, but she's not the only lady Saturnine, right? Like there have been other Saturnines before her. Yeah, there's Lady Saturn Ten and Saturn Eleven. <sighs> um, but there, there was Lady Opal, something or other of Saturnine, Opal. and Lady Opal Saturnine is 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 her. I think, uh, but what I'm getting at is, I think Saturnine is a title. Why? Oh, maybe you're right. That's interesting. Why was I could was I could Lady... be wildly off on that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah, that was why that's was... my immediate thought. So my question, I guess, is why is Lady Saturn Six afraid of Lady Saturn Seven? No, oh, right. He's just seven, eight, Saturn nine. Seven. All right. Um, <laughs> he thinks that's so fucking funny. Look at him. I've read He's every funny. issue. <laughs> I've read every issue of Excalibur, and I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't have that answer off the top of my head. Um, but you know, in any event, she is currently Lady Saturnine, and so he does have to protect her. So. Except apparently not now, because he's straight up just abdicating his his prior role and being like, I, "I'm Captain Avalon now." Well, then I guess uh, 
uh, Betsy's going to be her protector. Either way, Otherworld will have protection. Uh, let's talk about the art real quick before we move on to X-Men 13. So good. I did, I did think this was a very good looking book. Um, there have been complaints, I guess, about the, uh, the style of these books kind of aping what Pepe Larraz and Marta Gracia set down. But I think that that's what you ought to do. Yep. You know, for, for continuity, for consistency's sake. I think the book should look similar. And they do have their different flavors. I think this book um, doesn't look the same as those. And I definitely think from a uh, composition pr- uh, perspective, R.B. Silva makes choices that I don't think any of the other artists would have made with this book. Um, like, I, I think there's a lot of really great pages. The first page, the opening page of this is really nice. Um, I love how the uh, the uh, Citadel is um, that panel, right? Takes mm-hmm. up the whole page, but then you have those pop-ins. Yeah, yeah. That that's I that's a, that's a technique that always gets me. I love it. I thought it was really good that Saturnine didn't look like Emma Frost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you could you uh, whenever she first showed up was I don't even remember what that was at this point. But what, X-Men eleven or whatever, maybe creation. Maybe? Yeah, I think it yeah. was either eleven or it was the first issue in the <clears throat> yeah X chapter. Uh, she where she looked exactly like Emma Frost. But now she looks like a completely different, nondescript blonde woman in white. Yeah, like her face at least looks different, <laughs> which uh, I appreciated. Yeah. While reading this, all I think the entire time is, colors-wise, this book is so Pete and Beth. Oh my god, dude. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I, just how many, like, warm pinks and oranges, and, yeah. like, I really like the way that um, that it plays with, like, perspective and shadow. You know, like, Sean called out, obviously, the shot of the, the station, but then there's also, like, where they go to the, like, the hall of, of all the Braddocks or whatever, and it's that shot of what I'm presuming is the original Captain Britain, and he's holding the sword, and there's the light coming in through these big church-style windows, like, it's fucking gorgeous, and, like, the use of um the, like... You know, the pointillism. I forget the dots. We've talked about this so many times, but the, oh, the that classic. Back, what's it called? The Benday. Yeah, yeah, the Benday dots. Um, whenever a character is in the foreground to show that they're, like, in a different space or that they're in shadow, like, it's it's a lot of subtle stuff that comes together to, for me to make, like, a really, really satisfying package. And obviously we called out how cool uh, the Captain Avalon design is, but I love uh, this design for Betsy. Like, the her armor and, like, the way her hair is braided and, like, the way she looks, like, with that fucking sword and it's always, like, half bathing her face in the pink light. Like, there's just so many cool beats like that um, that I think... Even the fact that this was kind of a by the numbers issue, I found myself really, really just enjoying the act of reading it, even if it wasn't like the most consequential thing, you know? Sure. I knew you'd be into that vaporwave looking shit. Hell yeah. Like the shot when, um, what's the other brother? Jamie. Like when he's, it's the shot of the palace from far away, and then it's like him asleep, and it's just all these like soft purples. Like, ugh, forget about it, man. It's great. Yo, I want a griffin. Dude, I've Dude. always wanted a Griffin. Well, you're gonna get a Justin. <laughs> Ugh, I felt like I, 
I felt like I was reading a World of Warcraft comic at some points. Uh, for sure. With the griffins and, and well, some I know, of the... I know you guys have never been to the UK. This is what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> when when we go, I have to get I have to get a license to drive a griffin. Um, it, it's it it's hard. Hogwarts. It's um you have to do it on the other side of the road. Oh yeah. Oh my god. I'll get you every time. That's solid. Yep. Uh just one last thing I wanted to call <laughs> out. Um I thought the comic relief in this in this issue was like fairly solid, but there was one joke I really liked where they come in after Jamie's being attacked and uh <laughs> he, uh Captain Avalon is just like, they aren't even British. And I'm like, how do you know that they're not British? Like, they haven't said anything. You just walk in and you just know. Is that one of Captain Britain's powers? He can smell Look, the British. Their teeth are so straight. <laughs> wow. All right. Let's review X-Men number 13. So uh, this is Jonathan Hickman with Mahmoud Azrar. I believe this is Mahmoud's first issue as the main artist on uh, on X-Men. For the time being, he is being replaced by Brett Booth. Um, Oof. I am not looking forward to that change. I don't know anything about Brett Booth. I can't think of a book that I've read of his. He did uh, – the first thing that comes to mind is uh, he did Teen Titans in the New 52. Mm. And I think he was on – I think he was on uh, The Flash with Scott Lobdell during the Wally West exile shit. Okay. Um, so this, this book, I enjoyed, I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, this takes the apocalypse character and just upends everything you think you understand yeah. about who he is and why he is the way that he is. And this arc of, you know, Dawn of X has in a lot of ways been a, an apocalypse story, like one big apocalypse story and a redemption arc in ways that I didn't necessarily anticipate. I think we talked a lot in the earlier days. Um, and I guess people still do talk about, about it to a lesser extent. I think this book silences the conversation, but what is his end game? What is his nefarious goal? You know? Um, and we we know now that he doesn't have a nefarious goal, which I'm so happy about. I've been saying yeah. that since the beginning that I didn't want that to be the case and that, that would really disappoint me and feel like yeah. we put in so much work for nothing then. And this was a satisfying update to that ongoing narrative, I think. My dude A is a good guy. A. <laughs> the big A. Do not, a. do not attempt to use your mortal tongue to say the name <laughs> of the mutant god. Um. Yeah, so... What we what we essentially learn here, you know, we take a trip down memory lane with Apocalypse, which I, I do have to call out the fact that he goes on this entire monologue while he's in the process of dying slash being healed. That was a little goofy. Yeah, um, I didn't I didn't care for that. I think there were there were there are probably more graceful ways to do this. Um, but. It, it's essentially the story of how we, how the, the fall of Arako and why he ends up here, you know, um, 
And the 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 biggest the biggest takeaway was that that his wife tells him, you know, bring champions back with you and bring, you know, bring the 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 best, the fittest of of of, of all. And that explains his survival of the fittest mentality um and why he thinks that way i thought that was that was brilliant yeah it's like a i i think they've done a really good job of you know because you mentioned like in the early days you know i know i i definitely said this at least of like i like the idea of you know apocalypse is this warrior his life has been defined by the fight and now that they have this piece like what does that mean for him and obviously we see that there's there's still he has some stones that were left unturned and now we're kind of going through that and it's you know we're seeing the resolution of like years and years worth of his mission kind of coming coming to fruition here and i i really dig that they found a way to kind of like recontextualize his backstory and the apocalypse mm-hmm. that we know and and give you like an understanding of that character that makes him feel sympathetic rather than like it feels like they're just retconning his history because he's a good guy now. And that's a fine line to walk. We've seen that done far less elegantly with other characters in the past. Um, and the fact that it feels like, you know, to Sean's point, that this has been an apocalypse story or that at least his narrative is a major driving force of it and that it feels like they're sticking the landing is... I'm not surprised because it's Hickman, you know, but... I'm I'm very pleased by the direction that it's been taken and how it's evolved because it's giving me what I think I wanted to see from the character, which again, to your point, I didn't even know I wanted or that it was possible right. for me to think that he was an all right guy. I think real shout out standout issue for our boy Banshee on his back the entire time. Just <laughs> watching Apocalypse scream. <laughs> I think uh, from like a narrative perspective, this is something that I would have liked to have seen that might have been more concrete and understandable had this been in issue number 11 and maybe like the con- the contents that uh, fucking impossible one we read the last issue of x-men 12, 12 maybe? yeah was the info Something dump that. one yeah yeah like i think i think had it been this and we had done i don't know that later to build upon what was laid out here because this this feels much more concise and, and direct and then get into that the more like crazy out there stuff that he he touches on the last issue uh, I think that would have probably have been helpful for the for the narrative. Um, I don't know. I feel like this works better because we sat through that. I think that I think if if we were sitting here doing this, doing doing a review for that book, let's say X Men Twelve was what you're asking for. I think we would have said, okay, who are these people? What is like? What is going on? Like. Do, Think about what you got to think about what we didn't know at that time. Right. You know, and, and then say, okay, well, you don't know any of that. You only know what happened in this book. I feel like that's a little rough. But we already had the stasis come out or creation rather. Like we, we would have already understood portions of that anyway. And then the rest of it would have kind of like built out portions of, but I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I think I agree with Sean where like you look at that issue and all the threads that it laid and it contextualizes like what apocalypse did and why he did it and what his relationship to his wife and children were and, and all those things. And this was really the other half of that. And like the fact that like I had a different perspective on what that meant until we read this issue. Also creation actually came out before X-Men 12. Or after, rather, 
creation came out after. So yes. you wouldn't have mm-hmm. you wouldn't have known any of those things. Okay. Um I I I I like the way this issue handled that information in terms of the information itself. I feel like we've seen this three times. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That I'll give you. I yeah. I think maybe to Marco's point, maybe creation should have been like a double long issue. You know, or or whatever. And it, like, was. Yeah, it was. Oh fuck, you're right. Maybe oh shit. <laughs> X Men Twelve probably should have been a double long. Yeah, yeah. Maybe X Men Twelve should have been forty eight as like it's the you know, um like the prelude to zero. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. You treat it that way. Um and maybe that would have made more sense. But I, I guess for me with this issue, it it kind of brought me back to that review where I remember I was like, yeah, like this isn't a satisfying issue, but it feels like it's laying threads that will be really important to us later. And now it feels like we have all the puzzle pieces and it's right. like, oh, okay. I get why I had to sit through that now to make this hit the way that it did. Yeah. I, I didn't, I don't think I felt anything for this issue, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. It just, uh, there's a lot of exposition about apocalypse uh, and um, I, I recognize why it's important to the narrative of the story, but you know, <laughs> you talk about whether or not it matters, subjective to me. I felt like I didn't need this. Interesting. It's tough because a pop. So okay, here's the difference between, in my opinion, this story and the one we just read. Apocalypse has been a main character throughout this era. And so, yeah. And so his narrative matters to me more than Captain Avalon. I don't like, he's fine. Okay. Whatever. I don't need to know the mech, the mechanisms of how he got the new costume and how he got his sword with Apocalypse. I feel like I do need to know how he got his sword. And I feel like I need to know what he's fighting for. Uh, Captain Avalon. Psylocke or uh, Captain Britain, Betsy, all of those people, Wolverine, they're all fighting because they have to. They're conscripted to do this. Apocalypse is fighting because he has to in the sense that his family's on the line. His it's his his world. Yeah, it's yeah. it's personal. And that's what is connect that's what connects me to the story. I'm not I'm honestly not connected to the swords element so far yeah. because none of them care about this. Outside of the fact that if they don't do it, Krakoa's kicking them off, you know? Well, and like, and uh, ostensibly the world will end. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and the world will end. That's horrible, but wow, big deal. You know, like the world is always going to end. You know, Empire, right. in Empire, the world was going to end. I didn't care about that. Right, right. You know, so with, with, with Apocalypse, it matters to him. Yeah, yeah like, yeah, I, his honor's at stake too, right? Like, this is a mission that he has basically failed. And oh. his wife is dead, allegedly. Right, right. Well, and she called oh. him a weak ass bitch. Yeah, well, and and, it's, and, it, <laughs> and like, and I also think that like with this, like him going and getting the sword, right? Like that he like had graves for his children, who he's clearly mourned, and they all resent him because in their eyes he failed and abandoned them and was yeah. weak, and like that. That's a lot. Heavy. So, <laughs> so this book. It, like the apocalypse threat is all like kind of Ayn Rand uh, objectivism shit because it's like uh, you know survival of the fittest and all this type oh, of bullshit. Sure, sure. So so 
in the eyes of his kids and his wife, don't use this in my regular vernacular, but basically they're like, oh, this soy boy. I I thought it was really funny how uh, in the conversation with his wife, she's like, you're too weak. You know, and I'm like, Apocalypse is too weak? Like, Jesus, how fucking strong is she? <laughs> um, that, that said, I, earlier in our previous Excalibur conversation, I alluded to the fact that I, I, I appreciate that they're taking the time to develop the motivations of all our characters. I, I, I think that's important. Uh, I guess the differentiation is the mileage of success. And I'm not saying that I care more about Captain Britain than I did before, because the truth is I, I don't really, but I appreciate that they tried to make me care. Sure. Um, Apocalypse is a main character, and I feel like I should care more. And uh, it felt like a kind of by the numbers thing. How often do we see like a villain? Whenever, whenever creators try to like, you know, make us care about a villain more by humanizing them, it's always like a loss of like wife or loss of children type thing. I feel like where it's like, oh wow, they went through so much. No wonder they're the way they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it just didn't penetrate, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think I think the thing is though with all of these characters and their individual stories it's you know I I I think it like you say it does go back to your emotional connection and you know I I I think for me there I have I haven't not been interested in any one of these sword stories each one has been interesting enough that you know, I'm following along and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, I think the, the thing that sort of sets this issue apart with Apocalypse is that he's generally regarded as this ancient mythic figure. And, you know, his wife called him a punk ass bitch. And like, Kale relates to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it. God, I love it. Um, <laughs> she, you know, it's like, it's like you said, like how tough is she? And to what Phil said, like, you know, it is sort of that, uh, shitty storyline of, Oh yeah, my wife and kids went and died, but his didn't. And not only that they're tougher than him, than him and they can kick the shit out of him. And they think he's a weak ass bitch. Apocalypse. Right. Kill how 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 tough is Jess on you? I or do we My have man. to do we have to step in? Take this off, Mike. Take this off, Mike. It's the best. Oh no. <laughs> um Boy, this book I, is making us do sh- weird introspective shit, huh? Ev- everything that we've talked about as it relates to apocalypse, everything that we've seen so far makes him getting his sword feel so much more important and relevant and when he finally gets the scarab it's so cool and i was like yes i'm ready for him to kick somebody's ass we just saw him get beat to almost to death um and he now he's healed and he's you know we've seen his flashbacks we know what he's fighting for now he has the scarab and you just know it's on like we know we know that apocalypse is a god right we know how powerful he is but they brought him down to size, and I think the only reason they've done that is to take him back up, mm-hmm. but in a heroic way. Right. So that when he is finally kicking ass, it's like, how earned was this? You know, and I'm excited for that moment. That's 
that's what I want out of this event. I, I, I want that. I want to feel something for these characters. So I, I think in, in that regard, this issue did a great job. It did absolutely nothing else. But that's fine. Because every other issue has done nothing else. So if this issue is judged against those, to me, this is the biggest winner. I, I'm I'm inclined to agree with you for the most part. Like I I'm I'm very into that that idea. And like you said, right? Like there's been this doubt about what Apocalypse's motivations are and everything. And I'm really ready to see him like rise from the ashes and have us like have a new status quo for the character of like, sure. yo, Apocalypse is a hero. Like he is one of the greatest mutant heroes of all time. Like, and that's that's crazy. That's fucking crazy that this character that I have you know, 20, what, 30 years of publication history to compare against where he's a piece of shit. And now it's like, no, like, he's he's a leader of mutants, and, like, and I respect him for it. I, he's I, there I get it right? now, man. He was a villain, because all along he was a Jerry, you know, from Rick and Morty, you know, he was the beta of his family. <laughs> yeah, that's the takeaway. <laughs> I get that reference. <laughs> Thanks, Captain America. Uh, last thing I wanted to point out before we talk about the art, obviously you guys can say whatever you want, if there was anything else you took away, but, um, at the beginning of the issue, it shouts out two swords, the grass cutter and God killer. Yeah. yeah. And I was so hyped yeah. when I saw them shout those out. Kale, you're with me on that? Probably not for the same reason. I thought they were cool as hell. Oh. Are they from something? Yes. Because yes. I, wa- I want to know that information. Yeah, what are they from? Okay. Uh, so in Secret Warriors, the Hickman book. Oh. Um, yeah. The, 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 the crux of the story, cent- there's a lot of other things at play, but it centers around this character, Phobos, mm-hmm. who is the child god of fear. Ares' and- son? Yes. Is that right? If I remember yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. And he has to use i believe he has the grass cutter and he ends up having to fight i believe he fights Ares, who has the god killer and those are two swords of legend that are like twins or whatever and they use them against each other and that's the climax of that story and it's tremendous so i've always been i've always thought those swords were super cool they're cool looking and that fight was epic so I'm, one, I'm very intrigued by how those two swords are going to play into this event and who is going to have them. Yeah, yeah. even just the, the, the short bit they write about the, um, uh, the forging in the war between the Greek and Japanese gods. Where's That's, that? I was like, I was like, I what? Did. When did that I fucking that happen? Comic book. What, yeah, what, what the <laughs> fuck are we doing? What kind of Jack Kirby shit is that? <laughs> Yeah, so I um, just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, from an art perspective, I thought that Mahmoud did a solid job. Uh, he is a, a, a very capable artist. I think that his style, I feel personally like his style does not lend himself to the, the way that we're used to this book looking. The uh, yes. Neil Yu's style would have suited this issue better for sure. I think Azrar is helped by the fact that Sonny Go is still on colors. Um, his color style, obviously he colored Lanil Yu. They are a pair. They go together. But I think having him color this issue was a very wise choice on Marvel's part because it does keep the flavor of what we've been seeing with this book so far. 
Uh, Mahmood brings a little bit more of a um, like cartooniness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like a a, a cartooniness, cartooniness. I guess um, that is sim- more similar to the rest of the uh, X Men books than lineal use art style. I would say. Sure. Um, unfortunately, although I am a big fan of Azrar, I don't feel like he's the guy for this title. And I hate it when Brett, Brett Booth comes on. Oh, <laughs> it's gonna, I'm telling you, it's gonna it's gonna be rough. Yeah, I, I I agree that that he was he was capable. I think the biggest thing was just like it was obviously very visibly different from what we've been used to with this book. Um, but otherwise, I think you know he does a good job to convey everything that needs to be conveyed. Yeah, yeah, it's and, it's not bad by any means. I just I agree with Sean where I just I don't think it feels like cohesive. With what we, with what I come to expect when I come to these books, right? When following, how are you going to follow the run that you has had on on these books? Like, so, I'm not. No, that's not true. I do like you a lot, uh, but his his time on this on these twelve issues that he was on has been spectacular. I feel like it's like career defining level of work. Yeah, you know, like and. Azrar is a tremendous, very capable artist, top tier even, um, but it's just, you know, it's just, it's a completely different feel. Especially for an issue that is centered on Apocalypse. To me, the Neil Yu's Apocalypse is the definitive Apocalypse. Yes. And for him not to have closed out his run with this issue is kind yep. of a bummer. Yeah. Yep. For sure. I'm even wearing his suit. That said, I want to see Apocalypse in a suit again so bad. That's right. That said, I do. I uh, to swing it the other way a little bit. I do want to give a little bit of positive praise. There's sure. there's one page and paneling that I think uh, turned out really really well in terms of kind of establishing tone and 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 kind of establishing why um, sometimes one page speaks a thousand words of a character's motivation and why they. Uh, why they're doing what they're doing and it's the page where apocalypse is about to be separated from his wife mm-hmm. and it's just those bottom three panels basically and and it's a four panel page uh there's leaves blowing everywhere and it's just the body language of the characters before they kiss it, it, i think it really kind of just it, it's i from an artistic standpoint i think this really uh, stands out from the entire issue i'm so glad you called that out man Look at Apocalypse. He's not even standing up straight. No, he's hunched over a little bit. He's kind of leaned in. There's, he looks there's a, there, yeah, there's a real uh, vulnerability. And then, if you if you want to compare that to the page where he he rises um, from you know the near death experience, and you look at how he's standing there. Like it's you know that's apocalypse, and then you look at when he finally has his sword, that's apocalypse. Like yeah. he he means business now. I love it. I love it. Uh, the other one I wanted to I called out the thing with him going to the grave and everything to reclaim the sword. I really like the shot of him staring in the the pool of water and like looking at yeah, his own reflection, and he's yeah. hunched over again. But then he gets his sword, and it is kind of like you see him like upright again, and you're like, yeah, like the you know the 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 mutant god king whatever the fuck we're gonna like he's back you know and like he is he has like a renewed resolve you know and like so much is communicated in those like more quiet moments 
Absolutely. Um, let's let's move along. Two very strong issues overall. Uh, I'm excited for Stasis. I'm I'm not sure what it will entail, just because I don't think everyone ha- everyone doesn't have their swords yet. That's right. We're, We're missing three. Yeah. Counting Apocalypse. Three or no, four. E- I mean two. Sorry. Yes. Two, right? No, I think it's two. I think Apocalypse was one of the three spots that was missing at the end of Excalibur. Yeah. So now oh, we would okay. have two left. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Guys, hold on. I I gotta get my sword. Oh, there it is. See, now we get to read a whole issue about Phil getting his sword. How is I that not? Genu- that's the point. I genuinely thought he was going to pull his pants down. I'm not even lying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I guess we got to make this quick. I got my uh, sword. It, this one's actually mightier than most swords. God um, damn it. it would, God damn it. Don't he might as well have pulled his pants down. That would have been better. And... Um, uh, yeah, because I gotta go stand in a circle for the next two months. So this uh, is a fucking journalist. Of course, that's what he comes up with. <laughs> they only had three days. I don't know why you keep saying it's been months. <laughs> Feels like it's been years. This pandemic, y'all. Shut up. All right, let's let's move. I'm not along. apocalypse. I'm not your. Pick. Shut up. <laughs> so, if you enjoy our conversations about the x-men but you are behind and you're waiting let's say you have marvel unlimited and you're waiting for them to drop because you want to catch up as it turns out marvel is making a big change to marvel unlimited they gotta make it work well you know i can't speak to that what they're doing is they're cutting in half the window for which you have in which you have to wait for new books to hit the to hit the the app so it's been six months between release and hitting marvel unlimited now it's three months Ooh, that's much better yeah and didn't uh the dcu app recently made a change right from 12 from the year to six months i believe you're accurate on that huh all right that's pretty good Still too far behind. <laughs> I think I don't know. Um, I think it's I think it's objectively a good thing. I do believe that. Sure. Um, you said it's too far behind, and I I don't know. I think I don't know. I I personally feel like three months is fine. If you're not gonna read the books weekly, then you sh- there should be some type of you know barrier. Finally caught up an empire. It wasn't worth waiting three months. Oh yeah, right. Where would that wait? Where would that put it? That would put it at the start of Empire right now, right? Oh, the start of oof. Well, empire started in July, right? So yeah, yeah, pretty close. Well, any any Marvel Unlimited users out there? It's not good. Yeah, Marvel Unlimited <laughs> sucks. Does it? I, I've never actually. No, I meant the the Empire. Empire. Don't waste your time reading it. Yeah, <laughs> d- yeah, that. Don't waste your time. But the app does suck. I. Uh, I tried it for a minute. Uh, my brother-in-law had an account, and I couldn't download things. couldn't Couldn't get it to work. Um, How long so ago was that? I, I don't know. A while ago. Oh, okay. I was just maybe, tra- trying to gauge they, like how uh, long ago you had tried it. Maybe they ago. made it better. I mean, I have Comicsology unloaded, so they're going to have to work pretty fucking hard. All right. Well, because right, that is trying. the perfect reader. 
I think in the in the pandemic era, they're also fronted by Disney. What? It, who <sighs> cares if they're trying? Like <laughs> that's such a that is such a tired point. Disney does not roll out the Brinks truck to Marvel. We know they don't. They could. They Marvel ever asked? Oh, oh, okay. Has Marvel ever asked, Sean? <laughs> have they? Okay. Yeah. Does anyone have anything else to say about Marvel? Grandpa Disney might back it up himself. I don't like keep talking. He's doing great. <laughs> if it's something like DC, the DCU app, I think I might be interested, but there's just too much content now considering I have that and Comicsology Unlimited. And like, like I don't, I'm not as big of a Marvel Mark, so I'll probably just pick up, you know, the issues that we read here. Like that Marvel Mark. How? Yeah, that's. I'm a Marvel is. Mark. Yeah. Yeah, you are, man. I'm a well, I'm a Marvel Mark, but I'm also a DC dude. Ooh, Ooh that's bad. Right. Bad bitch. Do. <laughs> <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta put those on some T-shirts, guys. And I'm a Superman simp. Oh God. <laughs> uh, Marco, how? How do you, how is the uh, difference between the DCU app and Comixology Unlimited with what is what carries over? Do you know what I mean? They, have you have you noticed? Uh, they pretty much have like everything available. The only difference is that uh, you don't have to pay for all of it. Like all of it's not always on Comixology Unlimited, so I can't borrow against it. But with the DCU app, I can just access it, so I don't have to worry about paying like per issue or something. I kind of wish that they would have some kind of integration there. And like, obviously, Amazon owns Comixology and media consolidation and that whole argument, you know, put that aside, just talking about the user experience. I think it would be nice that if you wanted like the DC or Marvel Unlimited that you could like run it through Comixology so your shit could be in one place, you know? Uh, Yeah. On the the Discord, I was going to start to roll this out, but I actually have made... um, a Marvel Mark, and uh, I was gonna call it a DC simp, but I think DC dude makes more sense. But, uh, <laughs> these, are, these are roles that at some Beautiful. point you're gonna be able to to uh, add to your thing that I'm still working on. Look at what you get for joining our Discord. That's right. You get called a simp. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think some people on our Discord might enjoy that. All right. Since you guys don't want to talk about Marvel Unlimited, I got something I'm sure you're gonna want to talk about. Oh no! Ugh. We could have been talking about Marvel Unlimited, but you guys don't want Let's to. Let's talk so more about Marvel instead, Unlimited. It sucks or something. Instead, I don't know. We're gonna yeah, talk we about mean. the Snyder Cut. That's us. Yes. Yes. Bombshell news. I finally make an appearance. Daddy's little monster. I'm in there. It's it's gonna be written across my forehead. It's I I'm excited. How many swords do Lich. you have? Swords. Uh, let's see. Uh, Marvel has ten, so I have twenty. Okay. Wow. Well, let, let's let Sean's side speak, because remember, Sean's side is. And when Sean's side is, <laughs> you don't interrupt. When? Sean's side is excited because the Justice League reshoots have begun in earnest. Uh, allegedly, Ben Affleck, Amber Heard, Ray Fisher are all filming. This is according to The Hollywood Reporter. Also filming is one Jared Leto. Woo! They found a way to make me less excited for this movie. They did it. You know what? Hats off to Snyder and the crew. Uh, I'm really, really impressed. I told you it would happen. Hallelujah. That you'd be less excited. 
Do I think Joker should be in a Justice League movie? No, that's stupid. But I told you you should be less excited. You wouldn't listen to me. I was never excited is the thing. I was anti-hype. And they, this is like the anti-hype equation right here is putting Jared Leto in something. <laughs> that was really solid, Pete. Thanks, Damn. Oh, man, that's uh, funny. <laughs> my roommates just texted me, Marco, why'd you mail us severed animal heads? What the hell? Oh, is that the first one you got? Oh my God. <laughs> I hate this. Pete I hate this news so much. I hate it. I, I'm not at all surprised about Jared Leto. I am surprised about Ray Fisher. Right. Uh, yes. I don't think I am. Go on. Uh, his complaints seem to be revolved around Josh Whedon. Oh, yes. So if his complaints I correctly. His complaints centered around Joss Whedon. Jeff Johns and John Berg, none of whom are involved in this project. However, it extended during the summer to Warner because of the disputes right. around, um, you know, them not essentially believing him. Mm. And there was that whole investigation they they allegedly did. They hired an independent firm, and allegedly Ray Fisher was being difficult and not cooperating with the firm to try to get information. Um, and he's the one who 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 wanted this done. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think he's probably contractually obligated to do this. Yeah. So I guess that just solves it right there. Well, um, and if, if he was cool with Snyder too, then probably Yeah, and he was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah so. Booyah, more like boo nah. Wow. That's not even um, like That's not bad. It's bad. <laughs> bad. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Shit. I love that. That's bad. Um, <laughs> Shit. I, Okay, so I am not that into Jared Leto's Joker. However, I tried my best, Sean. I th- <laughs> I think the script wasn't very good for, for um, Suicide Squad. Yeah, for Suicide Squad. Yeah, I'm not saying this is going to be some masterpiece, right? But I'm not against seeing his Joker again. I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm with you. Oh, my God! (laughs) I Halloween miracle. I hate Jared Leto with a stone-cold passion. He's a piece of shit that can rot on Mars with Elon Musk for the rest of his fucking life. All right. Chill. But I want to see what he's got to offer. Because he got a bad turn, and I don't think it—I I don't think it's going to be good. But I—I want to see what's there. I think I'm at the point where I don't—I never thought this could be good. I never thought it would be something that I would enjoy. And it's kind of just like the more levels of bad that they add to it, the better the content will be because I have to sit through it. So, like, I guess there's that angle of it. This really is the Snyder Cut Comics Files, isn't it? Oh my god. So, if you want to up the ante, uh, Joe Manganiello, uh, I think that's Man- his name. Manganiello? Probably Manganiello. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's coming back as Deathstroke, which uh, was something that we saw in the post credit scene of Justice League that they were going to form the Legion of Doom, him mm-hmm. and Lex. Um, 
Nice. But I thought I thought that scene was one of the best scenes in Justice League. Uh, I thought it was cool the idea of them forming uh, a Legion of Doom. I don't. I can't think of a reason why Deathstroke needs to be in Justice League. Like you want to talk about yeah. whether or not Joker needs to be in it. Yeah. Deathstroke has nothing to do with this. I no. mean, Spider-Man 3 showed us that having more villains in a movie is always good. So I think just let's just shove as many as we can get in there, right? Like it's going to be five hours or whatever. Like, let's go. Well, and it's a whole new movie. So they probably will make it the fucking Legion of Doom. Darkseid's going to join them. And- <laughs> oh, my God. Here you guys are... Uh- Recruiting new members. <laughs> oh yeah, Dark Side, sure, man. But you'll pass the test. Hazing test. Dark Side is uh he's like playing the Nick Fury role. He's like, I'm starting a team. Imagine Dark Side with like a ton of tattoos like the Joker. Yes, I can. In Scott <laughs> yeah, Snyder's yeah. That's, that, in Scott Snyder's America, that's what he wants. Scott Snyder. Yeah. Yep, oh Scott no, Snyder. Zack Snyder. Yep. I'm no, sorry, yeah, Scott. Scott. I didn't no, mean to right. say that. Yeah, he's got no, those muscle tattoos that say love and hurt. <laughs> Uh, hurt and heal. Hurt and heal. That's right. That's Anti, right. Love. Anti-life. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's the peak. No. Well done, Kale. And it's also on his uh, collarbone. Yep. What What bet can we make Sean do that if he loses, he gets anti-life tattooed on oh his knuckles? Oh my god! Oh my god! You can threaten to throw my mother off a bridge, and I wouldn't get that tattooed. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Wow. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> All right. That's uh, so funny. God. I want to do that as like a Halloween costume now. <laughs> Damaged Jared Leto Joker but dark side. Yeah, and he's yeah. got like a know. he's got like a, you know, <laughs> A wife beater. Like, I was gonna say not a wife, like yeah. some kind of like one of those like weird like bondage harness shirts that like goth people in industrial bands wear. Like, oh sure. <laughs> it, like John Cena had word life, and like in the early two thousands, people talked about thug life. My man's anti life. <laughs> Brilliant! I love it. The anti life didn't. No, I didn't choose the anti life. The anti life <laughs> chose me. <laughs> oh, well, that's man. Orion from Kingdom Come. Hey, listen to that that book club that's coming out. That's that's right. Uh, yeah. Oh cool. my god. I'll plug that later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a reference that won't mean anything. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to our last news story. Uh, so UCS has dumped DC. Oops. Woo! You know what it was? They got caught fooling around with Lunar. Oh, damn. Bro, DC texted them too much. (laughs) (laughs) Which one is this? Is this the Midtown one? Yep. Yes. So, Bleeding Cool broke the story. They've been on top of the whole Lunar UCS thing since the beginning. Um, UCS announced that they would no longer... Uh, be distributing DC Comics. They are not. They're choosing not to renew their contract. It's wow. interesting that their contract is up so quickly. Um, that's a short, shorter term deal than I would have imagined. It's been like six months, guess, right? Like, yeah, that, I, I, gu- yeah. Oh, I shit. guess. I guess they're doing it. They did it that way because it was such a new thing. Maybe just like a trial. Yeah, maybe um, a COVID thing. Yeah, but they're they're yeah they're they're choosing not to renew their deal. Um, 
meaning that Lunar will now be responsible as it stands for 100% of the distribution of DC Comics. Wow. I wonder then if this was like a trial period for both of them, like who can do the better job and then conversations happen where like, well then, okay, now, you know, we're going to pick up on the East Coast or West Coast or whatever. Well, UCS doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, like well, they're the ones maybe, that backed out. Maybe it, was a, maybe it was a trial for them as much as it was for DC. You know, maybe sure. they're just like, yeah, we don't like this. Yeah. Well, huh. I, I wonder, like, I mean, Sean, cut me off if there's more to the story, but, like, I'm wondering if maybe they were seeing pressure from some of the other distribution partners. Like, we talked about that way back when of, like, could this, like, drive a wedge between them and, like, Marvel or them and, like, Dark Horse and Image and, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Not or, sure about that, maybe, or like even like the uh, the like the store owners, because I know that was a big concern specifically against Midtown. Well, let's let's hear from a store owner. Uh, this was the only person that uh, DC could get on, or Bleeding Cool rather could get on record to speak about this issue, and uh, it's Buddy Saunders of Lone Star Comics. He also runs the My Comic Shop website, yeah. which is a fairly large. Uh, you know, website for buying books. And Onslaught. There you go. Lone Star's, uh, they're, they're Texas-based, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. You would uh, guess. <laughs> l- let me read this, please. So this is what Buddy had to say. Uh, he said, a DC Comics distributor throws in the towel. UCS, the distribution arm of Midtown Comics, has thrown in the towel telling DC Comics they just can't take it anymore. That means all DC distribution falls to Lunar Distribution. We and other comic retailers are petitioning DC to resume distribution through Diamond Comics. Lunar has actually done an excellent job thus far, but our industry will be better served with two distributors for retailers to choose from. Competition breeds better service. Our DC Comics arrived pretty late this week, uh, but the failure wasn't on Lunar's part, but rather FedEx, which is an error executed in it, which in error executed or rerouted oh my god rerouted our palace someplace in arkansas by putting them on the wrong truck okay that's irrelevant um so he's making the point that diamond should be back in the fold if for no other reason than we should have multiple distributors for comics and this is something that look we all understand the problems with diamond right we've talked about it ad nauseum we know I don't think that having Lunar be the 100% distributor of DC Comics is better than Diamond being the only distributor. I think DC jumping back in bed with Diamond after a little bit of a break with the, uh, the, the, the set expectations by Lunar and UCS, how good of a job they did, might make diamond step their game i don't believe that at all <laughs> but, but wait, wait, wait was was the was the argument that he made that they should in part go back to diamond that's how i understood it yeah mm-hmm. he's saying that they should be that that dc should should get back in bed with diamond and lunar that they should both yeah, they should still work still operate yeah, yeah that shop should be able to choose which of the two they want to work with exactly based on what works for them yeah i think that's more than reasonable Mm. I guess I guess the question there is does that make sense for Lunar then? Like it does Lunar feel like 
Because you have to imagine most stores are going to go back to Diamond, right? Because it's easier to deal with one vendor than it is to deal with two. You right. can get all your books on the same day, like yada, 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 right? All the reasons that we initially talked about why shop owners were unhappy with this change. So you have to imagine that if Diamond is an option, the vast majority of them are going to go back to working with Diamond because they're already working with Diamond for every other publisher. So with that in mind, does that then make that segment of the business so small for Lunar that it's not worth doing for them anymore? Or you know, do we just end up in a situation where Diamond's the only game in town again? Am I crazy or did we hear that other uh, publishers were joining with DC at Lunar and UCS? No, that that never that hasn't happened happened. yet. There were like talks about it, but I don't think that oh okay anything went through. I think that's a good point, Pete. I I certainly think that's a valid argument. Um, I think I've only heard and read positive things about Lunar's involvement. I remember very early on there were people gushing, uh, retailers gushing about the way that they they receive their packages, the timeliness, the lack of damage, all these things that could impact stores otherwise. You get damaged books, you can't sell them, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I don't know if it's that cut and dry, but I could also see Lunar saying, eh, it's not worth our time. Now, they were splitting with UCS. Wasn't it, it like West Coast, East Coast or something? It was West Coast, East yeah. Coast. So, you know, if if half of the retailers decide that they want to work with Diamond, that's the same breakdown. Right. I guess the problem there too, right, is like, can Lunar deliver to those East Coast stores in a way that's timely? Because wasn't the main reason it was broken up was like so that shipping would be like quick to those places that they're more localized to? Yeah, I think it was it was it was to make it easier. But as it stands right now, Lunar's doing one hundred percent anyway. Right, right. So I, um, I guess that's that's the question, right? Is like. How do they even adapt to this? And like, is this all of a sudden going to mean that like your DC books that are coming to New York and you know Philly and all all these major East Coast markets are coming late? Uh, or I got I, you. Go go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say I would be very surprised if the major markets got it late: New York and Philly and yeah. DC. L- Lunar has actually. Um, talked about this well not i guess not necessarily that specific issue but now that they are 100 percent distributing dc's books they have instantly made changes um so a, a few things they say that they are they leased a new warehouse and quote are currently beefing up our warehouse and csr staff to handle the influx of new retailers from ucs Bleeding Cool says they also confirmed Bleeding Cool's account that stores will now have to make a minimum of $125 worth of orders a week or $500 a month, meaning that if they don't meet those, they get their account suspended. So if for three months straight you do not order $500 worth of DC books, you get your account suspended. That's that's like uh, per week 31 books. 31 yeah. issues. 31. Uh, well, I guess, assumingly at like a $4 price point, uh, yeah, 31 issues. I Well, they're buy- they must be buying them at less, right? Like they're not buying them at cost. Right. True. Yeah. Right. So that, that actually becomes a much bigger number, which, because again, I don't know how much a store pays for each issue, but 
So say you said it was what thirty one. So let's say that they're paying half, right? So then so that 60 becomes something. sixty some odd. And like, yeah, I don't know. Like, can every store sustain that? No, no. and absolutely not. And like, and that definitely is going to make them less likely to buy certain kinds of books. Yep. You know, because like I know for a fact, uh, and again, totally anecdotal evidence, but like one of the shops um, that I used to frequent when I lived in New Jersey, where I was friendly with the owner, he would comment on how for like uh, lower like interest titles, he would get like one or two issues just to see if there was interest and like to gauge who is anyone going to show up for this book? If you've got a limit and like, maybe you're going to be less likely to take those risks because you don't want that stock on shelves. And it's like, well, Batman sells. So I'm going to get Batman. Right. I think this is the kind of this right here. This decision is the reason why so many retailers stood up for diamond six months ago, Mm -hmm. because diamond was essential. First of all, diamond is a family owned business. And that family has been in this business for a long time and knows all the retailers. Also, Diamond was act Diamond was acting as a bank. And right. so if you weren't able to pay, Diamond would absorb that and it would work something out with you. For you uh for Lunar to say you have to order five hundred dollars a month worth of DC books. I mean, I my my local shop is Midtown Comics. Any one comics. That we did that uh, that YouTube video with, we we interviewed the owner. Can they order that many DC books a month? I like probably not, right? Like he said in his interview that the vast majority of their sales is not Marvel in DC. It's they've cultivated a, a a shop that's more built around indie books than anything, and like around you know your images and and dark horses and and then like even smaller presses and stuff like that. So like maybe they just stopped carrying DC books. But I mean, all you need per week is a max of like, let's say six, seven titles, and then you buy six books, seven books of each, and that adds up to that 60 total. That's not crazy. Like you're you're definitely going to expect, especially if there's like a week of a Batman or the week that there's a Flash, like you you can definitely expect more than six people to pick up a single issue of Batman. Yeah, but what happens on the weeks where there's not? some of those books to anchor it like and you're you don't meet that minimum sure but i mean you can still as long as that that threshold is reached of that 500 i don't think that that's impossible looking at considering the that volume because you would only need six titles and six books each in a week a week week. yeah and i mean i guess there's also the argument to be made that like there are other things that you can order right because they're they're Doing all of DC's distribution, right? Is it yeah. or is it just singles? Like that Swamp Thing Omnibus, for example. I think it's all. Okay. So like if you buy one copy of volume one and two of that Swamp Thing, not Omnibus, uh Absolute Edition, like that's a hundred bucks. So like I guess there's an argument to be made that you can make that up in other ways sometimes, but Yeah, and and, and again, these are all based off of like those assumptions, but like yeah, we're sure. doing like bad napkin math just to like talk through this as a thought experiment, which is worth pointing out. And I would absolutely adore being able to have this conversation with a retailer present because they're going to have more insight than certainly than we do. But I think that kind of um, the kind of consideration that retailers now have to make when they're ordering DC books is going to further. Um, 
it's going to further it's going to broaden the schism between retailers lunar and to a, to a larger extent dc who already have a fractured relationship and it's going to make you ask inevitably would we be dealing with this if diamond was the distributor there's other problems but are those problems worth like are, are those problems worse than not having a strong relationship with your distributor i think that's a question that's worth asking and i bet a lot of retailers are asking right now um so yeah i guess we'll we'll follow that story as it unfolds i'll tell you right now and personally i wouldn't be surprised at all if within one year we hear about diamond and dc getting back together I, oh i give it less yeah yeah i i think you're probably right there um just one other wrinkle to this that I thought was interesting was that they did also say that there were three other criteria that you had to meet that like limits a ton of different kinds of distributors. Um, you you don't have to meet all three. You have to only meet one. one of the three, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, but it was that you're a brick and mortar store, that you're a dedicated direct to consumer website with a functional shopping cart or an online platform selling direct to consumers in a format other than auctions, which there are a lot of people that sell comics on eBay. Right. So the reason why I didn't include this is because it's it's actually it it's a positive for the industry. Um I just felt like it was outside the scope. It's just trying to it's trying to root out people who are gaming the system to be able to sell comics under market value or even over market value, sure. but through a website like eBay or 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 whatever. It that hurts brick and mortar stores. It even hurts websites like um, uh, DCBS, and I think they're just trying to curb those things. the The weird part about that move is that it seems like it's a little self serving, but right, right, yeah. And I'm with you. Like, I don't know that there's a lot to say there, but it is an interesting, yeah, angle to that as well. That like they're really like, it feels like they're really trying to rein in who they work with. You know, and I guess have more control over that, which I guess we'll have to see how that plays out. In the bleeding, uh, bleeding, bleeding cool article, it says it also cuts out buying clubs where fans group together to buy comics at retailer discounts. Oh, oh, interesting. That's a that's a problem in other uh, other industries. I've heard about it in other places. Uh, I didn't know that that was a thing in comics. So yeah, that's not never good. heard of such a thing. We should do. What that. are what that means for libraries? Oh, I wouldn't imagine because um, it says uh, dedicated direct to consumer website or brick and mortar store. Libraries are sure that would mortar. count. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, they they might even exist in their own category, right? Because like library mm. buying is like definitely different than mm. you sure. know buying it's probably to closer sell. to book. Yeah, probably closer to like bookstore buying yeah yeah right it's like i feel like more curation than it is like a sales channel right right yeah so uh we'll continue to follow that conversation you know these are the inner workings of the industry and the things that make it tick and get you your books on time sometimes so uh you know it's worth talking about uh but we have one last conversation to have before we close the door on this episode of the podcast which is what i teased at the top are superheroes bad for us as a culture? Yes. All oh, right. I forgot we already had that conversation. All right. So 
all of this stems from Alan Moore, believe it or not. He gave an interview to Deadline where he made some pretty inflammatory comments about superheroes. That's not new. Alan Moore, not the biggest fan of superheroes, not the biggest fan of the big two. He's promoting a movie right now called The Show, and he's been, you know, sort of making the rounds a little bit uh, and talking about talking about this issue. And he said the following. Uh, he was he was giving an interview to Deadline. He said the following. I'm not so interested in comics anymore. I had been doing comics for 40 something years when I finally retired. When I entered the comics industry, the big attraction was that this was a medium that was vulgar. It had been created to entertain working class people, particularly children. The way that the industry has changed, it's graphic novels now. It's entirely priced for an audience of middle class people. I have nothing against middle class people, but it wasn't meant to be a a medium for middle aged hobbyists. It was meant to be a medium for people who haven't got much money. Uh, He also said, I haven't seen a superhero movie since the first Tim Burton Batman film. They have blighted cinema. And also blighted culture to a degree. Several years ago, I said I thought it was a really worrying sign that hundreds of thousands of adults were queuing up to see characters that were created 50 years ago to entertain 12-year-old boys. That seemed to speak to some kind of longing to escape from the complexities of the modern world and go back to a nostalgic, remembered childhood. That seemed dangerous. It was infantilizing the population. This may be entirely coincidence, but in 2016, when the American people elected a national socialist Setsuma and the UK voted to leave the European Union, six of the top 12 highest grossing films were superhero movies. Not to say that one causes the other, but I think they're both symptoms of the same thing. A denial of reality and an urge for simplistic and sensational solutions. So that's a lot. He said a lot of things. And the internet was buzzing with conversation about what he had to say. Um, I think there are a lot of people who are inclined to agree with Alan Moore, no matter what he says, but there are also a lot of people who are inclined to disagree with Alan Moore for what he says. Um, We're going to have a a much more uh, level, hopefully conversation about it than that. But I want to also tie this in with the conversation that we had months ago about the person who wrote for, I think it might have been the New York Times, uh, an article about superheroes and uh, cop culture sure. and and all of that stuff. And they were, you know, basically making the claim that superhero comics and movies were culpable in sending a message that police are absolute and automatically good people. Uh, because cops are, or superheroes are essentially cops. And if they're not that, they have positive relationships with cops always. And if uh, you want to listen to that, it's episode 193. Yeah, Damn, you're good. That's fast. Um, so we're just going to have an open-ended conversation about that with the idea, you know, keep this at the front of your mind. Are superheroes and superhero media a contributing factor to the decline in society of our willingness to take care of ourselves or have has the culture of superheroes created within us a need and a desire for someone to come and save us from our problems. 
I think this is a complicated, nuanced matter because on the one hand, there is indeed perhaps something problematic about uh, if I don't know if this is true. It's assuming a lot that people watch superhero movies because they want someone to come save them. But on the other hand, it is important to note that things don't happen in a vacuum. And if indeed that is a sensation that people are experiencing, there is a reason for it. And that, that is emblematic of a problem that comes way before 2016. There is indeed a sense of hopelessness in culture and in, in society for a myriad of reasons. And even if you look at 2016, which I, I don't think is a fair example, but it's one Alan Moore draws in his, you know, in his example. Voter turnout was really low. There's, there's, a, there's a real sense of existential dread and hopelessness in, 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 in impacting discourse, civil discourse. And uh, I don't want to, again, I don't want to draw a, a false equivalency, but, you know, you look at this most recent presidential cycle or, you know, we had 12 people running for president on the Democratic Party ticket, and by far the most popular candidate running was Bernie Sanders, who completely got kneecapped in an effort to present a moderate candidate. Now, you can make the argument that there were far more moderate Democrats than progressive Democrats, and their choice was, you know, splintered between nine other candidates or whatever, but nevertheless, that in itself dissuaded a lot of people. So uh, when you Phil, sorry, just I just want to clarify. You're saying the 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 Democratic Party, the establishment, as it were, kneecapped Bernie Sanders, right? Because they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to run a progressive Democrat like that. For right. yeah, yeah, you know, I just want to put a I just want to put a name to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're not the political pals. We don't need to go in all those reasons, obviously, but I'm using it as a case study because that's an example of how people feel helpless, right? They want to get involved in civil discourse. So what happens when people are completely apathetic to the political process that they're supposed to be a part of? A, you get people like Boris Johnson or Donald Trump or you know, Bolsonaro or whom have you around the planet. And I completely sympathize with people that feel like they do need someone to save them. Like the entire premise of someone like Captain America is like there are good people and they're doing things that matter to help the, you know, to help everyone. Um, that is infantile, granted, but it speaks to a very human condition of, of, you know, we don't really live in a democratic society that sees the needs and representation of people on a whole scale. I mean, that that's just, that's indisputable. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a plutocracy at best. And I, I understand why something like a Marvel movie is appealing. I think, the, uh, to the historical end for superheroes, like we all know is largely created by Jewish creators and, there's some, uh, I guess, re. There's some sort of cycle there. And to your point, Phil, right? Because the some of the the founding of that 
came from creators. It's a little landscape. Right, escaping Nazism and and trying to do de- the Great Depression, de- World War Two, like just develop a sort of character archetype and storyline that follows a being that is impervious to whatever extent. Right, the foundation of Superman, and I think that there is, I, I yes, it's obviously more than than just that, and I think to that end it was sort of a it was sort of a story built out to inspire young children and i think to that end more makes somewhat of an accurate point where initially this was sort of the why comics were created they were a lower brow art in the sense that they were made specifically to entertain and there was a a focus on entertaining children um and typically because of all the circumstances around that, those children were poor. But that then doesn't account for the fans of those comics who became comics creators afterwards in the subsequent sort of silver age and wanted to simply tell stories that they loved and had fun with and variations and takes on the characters that they grew up with that affected them in in some way or form. And I think that for me breaks down some of what Moore is saying uh, is that he he's he's only attributing it to that golden era that because this was the creator's intent therefore all subsequent variations of it need to have that intent in mind and i don't think that that's a valid sort of argument against why we're we think that we should that, that currently we're going to these things and flocking to it because we need that sort of escapism and that childish sort of uh, return to the, some of that childish, um, I guess, warmth. He, he's saying that we're not growing up. You know, we have this interest as children, and when we get older, we don't let it go. We don't grow up. We don't engage with the true civil discourse of you know whatever is happening in contemporary society. Right. Um, and I don't know if that's always, I don't think that's ever been true. Granted, comics were published throughout the Golden Silver Age with children in mind, but it's important to recognize that soldiers in World War II, whether they were European soldiers or American soldiers, were reading comic books because I think there is a lot of merit to, uh, to escapism of you know, something terrible that's happening. It's certainly nothing more terrible than surviving war. in a war. Um <clears throat> And this reflects in other mediums as well. During the Depression, musicals were the most popular because they were bright, colorful, and glitzy. You know, something to escape the drab, meek, and terrible survival that was the Great Depression. You know, things change over time, but I don't think there's terribly a lot of difference in in what was like in the 30s and 40s than it is throughout the last 10 years. Things are bleak for a lot of people. You know, just going to like a 9 and 5 nine to five job that you find existentially dissatisfying or whatever, like that in itself is people, it seems like people are more depressed now than ever for a myriad of reasons. Uh, and a lot of that has, I, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with cultural dissatisfaction. Um, and when things are so bad that they're out of your control, something like a superhero movie, you know, presents a brighter picture of things that could be. To your point on musicals, it's bright, it's action-packed, there's entertainment. And, I mean, if you're someone who is 
in a state who and in, in, in a mental state where you're not content or you are depressed or whatever like that's that's an escape but i don't know that that's a, ba- a bad thing per what more saying the question right yeah so i'd love to jump in there i we've talked about alan moore a lot on the show right i have a lot of respect for him as a as a writer I've always oh, felt like his his commentary on this sort of stuff comes from a place of being embittered, you know? And I get why, right? Like, there are a lot of things you can say negatively about corporate comics and, you know, particularly his experience with them, whatever. I think that aside, I think... It's, That's a pretty heavy whatever. Well, I, <laughs> what I'm saying is that is not in the purview of this conversation, right? And, like, we've had that conversation before. So I get where he's coming from, respect that that's his take, but I also think that, to Phil's point, I think he's looking at things in a very cynical way through a very modern perspective and, like, drawing historical context without necessarily exploring the totality of that context. So, like, sure, you can make the argument that, you know, superhero media is, is rooted in escapism. I don't, I don't think that escapism is inherently bad. You know, I think that, like, to uh, a point that Phil's making, I think that it, it is often a healthy part of survival in the modern world. It's when you completely sever yourself from those things that, um, that it becomes problematic. And I think drawing a line between that and any one form like of entertainment or art or genre or anything is like ignoring the cultural realities that exist outside of those things. Like the way that your government treats working class or poor people or the way the the way that like things like you know your your race or your gender or your sexual identity can impact those things or there are so many sociological things at play that are so much bigger than superheroes that to say that like superheroes have led to some kind of cultural or moral decay i think is like is frankly kind of an ignorant comment um because it ignores that there are so many larger systems that exist to keep people down and to keep them depressed and trudging through life than the fact that like they're not reading something different you know i don't think that if superheroes hadn't existed in uh an increased relevance since 2008 on i don't think that that would have changed where we ended up right like and i think drawing that comparison feels like you're giving them way too much credit it's like an outcome of a symptom, so to speak. People want escapism because of how things, how bad things are. Not the to other his, way around. <laughs> but to his point, and I think this is the question: uh, if, if as a populace we didn't rely so heavily on escapism, whether it's you know superhero movies or like Fast and Furious movies or sports, uh, sports, whatever, right? And, and people were more informed about how bad things are or whatever, uh, would that result in a better society or whatever? Like, if people... Th- like, that's that's what I think he's kind of positing. If people didn't lean on entertainment as much of a crutch of life as they do, would that lead to an outcome of people being more informed, more educated, and pursuing things, more nobler, uh, you know, deeds to 
seek out a better society. I don't think there's any evidence to support that idea, though, right? Like, I think it would just be that you would indulge in something else. If it wasn't superhero movies, it would be action movies or sports or comedy or drugs or sex or any of the things that we use gambling. to make ourselves feel a little bit more alive. What was that, Sean? Well, that's my gambling. Yeah, gambling, yeah. right? Like, whatever. And these things have existed far before, like, the Great Recession or whatever. People gambling and like, buying, you know, these things have existed for decades. Yeah, like you yeah. said, like, taking drugs and fucking and, like, look at, like, Shakespeare, yeah. right? Like, what was – what's the root of popularity in Shakespeare was that it was art that was written in the common tongue and it was written for poor people. Like, this, this struggle has always existed and as long as we have a society that's based on class, you know, mm -hmm. like – the, these things are absolutely going to going to rise, right? Like because as long as there's a uh, a working class and a ruling class, as long as there's a proletariat, like that person needs something to get through the fucking day, whether it's a cup of coffee or a Superman movie. He, I know he knows that Alan Moore. He's very passionate about that stuff. Sure, Sean, what do you think? All right, so I actually want to tell a story real fast. Uh, in 2008, I was having my awakening, right? I think we all have it. It's the point at which you realize the world is real and there's bad <laughs> stuff and there's a lot of yeah. really bad stuff. And I was extremely angry. Um, I had a lot of personal anger, but I also had a lot of anger at the world. Um, and I thought that the world was broken, right? And I was trying to figure out what I didn't know that was happening outside in the world, um, looking for like hidden knowledge. And that led me down the path of conspiracy theories. And so my friends and I, we started watching videos about 2012 and, you know, Planet X and aliens and Alex Jones and the New World Order and all that good stuff. One of my friends, uh, he, and I really fell in. We were, we were the hardest to fall. And he started to get increasingly weird. He started walking around, looking up at the clouds and yelling and telling people, Oh, those are chemtrails. Those are chemtrails. Don't you see it? My mom did, does, did and does the exact same thing. Yep. Yeah. And I remember one day we were hanging out. And we're watching a video about, you know, all this bad stuff. And he started crying. And I said, what's, what's, you know, are you all right? What's going on? He said, I just wish that the aliens would send me an Iron Man suit so that I could destroy the New World Order. He and voted for Donald Trump. That's how Sean got into comic books. <laughs> <laughs> I tell that story. Because so there's there's two parts. One, he's he's nuts. All right, I don't associate with him anymore. But he wasn't always like that. Is he like a QAnon guy now? He's yeah, he's into all that. We both became broken by the world at the same time, went and we were looking for though. things. We we did go in different directions. He went that way, right? towards Donald Trump, towards complete break from reality. And he's the same person who said to me, he wished he had an Iron Man suit. Mm -hmm. I'm saying to you that, yeah, 
breaking from reality and like wishing desperately for Superman to come down and save you in a real way to the point of tears go hand in hand. Mm. Sure. I also think that same thing goes with, you know, Donald Trump. But I don't think that inherently the love of superheroes and superhero media leads you to love Donald Trump. It wasn't uh, being a Republican or it was, it wasn't rather, it wasn't superheroes that took him down that path. It was how hateful he was based on what the world is that led him down that path. His love of superheroes just intersected. Right. I don't think Alan Moore, this is my interpretation. I don't think he's trying to say that if you love superheroes, you're going to be a Tory or a Republican or whatever. I think he's saying that when you're so blinded by entertainment, you're disconnected from things like politics that maybe you don't even vote at all. Yeah. Which is like a fine point to make, but look at all of us. But I, I think I think being disconnected from politics is a constant because first first of all, if you live in America, right, to keep I, I'm I'm pretty sure it's like this anywhere on earth, but to keep up with not watching debates, that's all bullshit, right? Don't be fooled. Everything that you see on television or hear a politician say is bullshit. It is. You have to read the documents you have to read the the laws and the policies that are be trying to be put in place okay so if you're not doing that you're not informed that's just a reality now you can't do that because you work all day nine to five and then you go home and then you have a family and then you have to eat dinner and then you have like an hour and then you have to go to bed so you can get up and do it again people who read those documents do it because they get paid to do it and a lot of politicians don't actually read them. They have people to read them for them and then get them the bullet points sure. because they don't have time to do it. So Alan Moore's point is a fallacy because modern politics cannot be followed by the average person. You don't have time to do that. And if you just try to follow it via the news and don't just look at the documents yourself, every single channel you put on is going to tell you something different. And not not to mention, right, that like, again, to take it back to kind of the, the socioeconomic angles of that, if you're someone who like um, hasn't had the benefit of like uh, um, uh, of like higher education or something like that, it takes even more effort to go through and educate yourself, right? And even if you have, right, like I went to college and studied journalism, that doesn't mean that I'm capable of reading fucking policy and under like I need somebody to parse it for me. You know, and like, and I'm trying, right? And like, so imagine you're somebody who doesn't have that, you know, that uh, that frame of of privilege or or like of knowledge or whatever, and you don't even work one job, you work two jobs, right? Or you know, and you've got three kids, and you've got to make sure that there's dinner on the table and clean your house and go to the doctor that costs you an arm and a fucking leg and something goes wrong with your car. And like, where do you think you have the, like the mind share to get into that shit? You know? And, and that's the thing is like, I don't, I don't, I don't think that the, the, um, the desire for this kind of media 
right? And I think it even extends beyond superheroes, right? Like Star Wars is popular for the same reason. It's because it's a, it's a simple moralistic story of good people speaking to power, right? And good people overcoming bad, right? And there's a reason that we gravitate towards that stuff. It's because the real world is not that fucking black and white. It is not that simple. And sometimes to feel sane, you want it to be that simple. I think that's why sports are so fucking appealing, right? It's like, this is my team and I want my team to win. And if my team wins, I supported them and I shared in that glory, right? And it's a a level of triumph that the average person probably will never feel in their life. Uh, What's funny about sports is like, uh, it causes more depression than it, uh, solves because of just the amount of failure a team <laughs> has, unless you follow like the Yankees or whatever. Um, sure, <laughs> uh, bro. Next yeah. year they're getting it. I, next year, that's I, right. I would really like to get Kale's perspective. We haven't heard from Kale. I don't know. I I have a really mixed opinion about the whole thing because, of course, I love superheroes. I wouldn't be here if I didn't. I wouldn't have gone the way I have if I didn't. The, you know, the, the, the course of my life have, has been dictated by superheroes. That's you have a master's in superheroes. Well, slow down. I have a master's in comics. <laughs> right. Super. The, the sun don't rise and fall in that pile of what's it. Uh, that's right. Solid. Um, but, um, I, I, I do find it. compelling i think that two well well renowned renowned creators and i'm including uh jerry conway creator of the punisher also recently said something similar you know he said uh you know something to the effect of uh you know boomers made it about themselves and why can't we have you know stories that speak to us in the same way that they did when we were kids and I don't know that there is something in me that that does agree that 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 there is a, a very immature idea there in, in the terms of you know uh, it, boomers for for lack of people older than us the creators who have come before us uh doing such a thing and i think it's interesting that these are two creators who have been essentially at the helm of all of that and are you know and are saying these things you know, Jerry Conway created the Punisher. He killed Gwen Stacy, right? That's like a lot of people look at that as the end of the age of innocence in comics. I just, uh, you know, and for, for a thing that, you know, is ostensibly uh, by, you know, by these guys argument, a kid's medium, like that's pretty dark for a kid's medium. Right. But one of the things I'm reminded about looking over this deadline article from, uh, Alan Moore is he talks a lot about escapism uh, in the same way you guys have um, 
but one of the things he he says, and it, it it feels just like a throwaway line, but it's really really stuck out to me, is that um, uh, the deadline ask hasn't cinema always been a form of escapism to an extent? And Moore says sometimes it was. All art forms are potentially, but they can be used for something other than escapism. And to me, when you when you sort of reverse engineer that in the in the direction of marvel i think it sort of also reflects on like religion you know he's talking about uh these characters coming down and and saving the day in a simple and grand uh sensational way that's also the belief of like 89% of evangelicals in America. Uh, but, uh, but but I think to that, he's conflating superheroes as a genre to a medium. That I, that I obviously don't disagree with. And, and I think that's the issue in the logic, because if to the, to the deadline interviewer, it hasn't cinema always been a form of escapism, and for him to say sometimes it was, all our forms are potentially, well then that means that there has to be some variation in which a superhero is involved, but it's not about the the antics or the heroics or like there's something deeper that takes precedence. Like maybe something like um shit, what was that second coming? Like to your point, Kale, about like a mixture between superheroes and religion, right? Like Jesus comes down and is a superhero. Like that, I, I I've not read it, but to what extent is that simply about? the superheroics and not trying to say something more and i think that that's a way that the the genre of superheroes can be used to say for something other than escapism but the medium obviously proves that there is other i think that's part of like what takes me back to me kind of calling out the hypocrisy of some of his statements and that they feel colored by his experience and the kind of resentment that he has right he says this is from that same part that that kale's quoting he goes, think of all these films that have really challenged assumptions, films that have been difficult to take on board, disturbing in their messages. The same goes for literature, but these superhero films are too often escapism. This is also where earlier in the interview he said he hasn't watched a superhero movie since 1989 Batman. So how does he know that? He also goes and says earlier that uh, increasingly I think the best version of Batman was Adam West, which didn't take it at all seriously, right? And like – Again, like he's he's moralizing and saying this is what superheroes should be, and the fact that I think this is what they should be, they can't be this. But like you can look at his own work, which obviously he has mixed feelings about and has discounted some of. But like look at Watchmen. Watchmen is a superhero story that stars superheroes that attempts to say something more, and I would say that it challenges assumptions. It is was probably difficult to take on board at the time. It's disturbing in its messages. So what is he really saying here? Which since has disavowed for what it's worth. I think that it's, it's really lame to compare. If you're talking about superhero movies, it's lame to compare something that has really only like taken off in the last 12 years to the entirety of the history of film and books and, 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 and plays and everything else. That's ridiculous. Right. Like, if you look at just the last 12 years, let's say, 
of superhero movies. Uh, have there not been movies that fit that criteria? I would argue that The Dark Knight fits that criteria. Logan. I would argue that Logan fits that criteria. We know what what of those superhero movies uh, elevated the medium and challenged you know the the preconceived notions, but he can't know that because he hasn't seen them, and I maybe didn't... he wouldn't like them. But guess what? I don't know what Alan Moore likes that came out after 1980. I think that's the thing, though. My impression is. Like the reason why he disavows things like Watchmen or whatever is, I think he feels like superhero stuff should just be for kids because when we try to elevate it into something serious and, and try to, um, you know, really interpret what these things are, I think to him that's like a bastardization of what comics and superhero, or more specifically, what superheroes and superhero comics are supposed to be. I'm not saying that's correct, but I think when he, I think he would look at something like Logan and Dark Knight and be like, this is completely wrong. The like, problem is you could take you could take out superhero movie right, and you could put in video games. It'd be the same. Yeah, you I could bet take. He would feel that way. You could take out video games and you could put in anime or you know cartoons. But I think, that, it, I that's I think such him, a bullshit argument because words mean things. Like no, he didn't it's not say a video bullshit games. Argument, Kale. First of all, be respectful. Second of all. The fact of the matter is that that type of argument gets made all the time and it gets discounted because things can be made for different audiences and still be presented in similar ways. If you enjoy anime, that's cool. There's anime for adults and there's also animes for children. What's the difference? I, I think he would feel, I, I don't want to uh, speculate too much on things he hasn't said or words in his mouth, but I feel like he would feel the same way about video games and anime. These are things that are designed for kids. They're things that are meant to waste time from things that matter. Like these are all forms of escapism, escapism. and that's yeah. the problem. But like, but that, but again, to to take it back to what Sean said is, I think that that is a that that is a disingenuous argument because I think that, and, and I think it's it's the disingenuous argument of a, of an old man who is out of touch, you know. And again, that's not to say to throw shade at Alan Moore. I respect the hell out of his his craft, even though he doesn't. Um, uh, but I think like to to use the example of video games, right? You can make that argument that like video games began as a uh, an artistic medium that existed to sell a product to children, right? They were toys, and they've since evolved beyond that. And why are films allowed to challenge and and inspire and blah 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 blah? But something else isn't because the original intent of it when it was made in 1938 was different than it is now, right? Like that that is a meaningless argument because this is something that Marco said a lot earlier. Uh, the original intent of a creator of a medium of whatever is irrelevant to what it is now. It's irrelevant to what it means to this generation or the next generation because our perception of superheroes and and comics or games or whatever is going to be different than a hundred years from now or ten years from now or whatever, right? It's it's about how the medium evolves and grows, and I think to say that superhero stories are incapable of doing that ignores some of the better works of the last, you know, what fifty years, right? Since Alan Moore's time. Um, and he might feel that way, but I don't think that um, that that comes from a man of his time and is influenced by the experiences that he's had. I think uh, we we do 
we as a society have to address the cause, not the symptom. And I don't think, in my mind anyway, that there's a tremendous difference between enjoying superhero movies or the gladiator fights from you know the, the Roman Empire or whatever. Um, these are things that people go to do because they want to kick back, relax, and enjoy something that doesn't require them to think. Um, and sometimes it does require you to think. I think I've thought a lot about so we we spend a lot of time thinking about superhero movies um, and their merits and the lessons that we have learned and things like that. And I think that those things are valuable. Um, I'm not the same person without those things. And I want to be this person in a lot of ways. The person that I'm influenced to be by those things, I want to be. And I don't think that that has to cross swords with being a responsible human being with respect to the rest of the world. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what he's – in my mind, that's what he's calling into question. And and I, I think it's it's fair to say too that I, I think Phil alluded to this earlier where like he's probably not saying that like across the board. I think he's more saying it as like a symptom of a culture. Yeah. Um. But again, I think that's a bigger issue. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'll make this point again. If it wasn't superheroes, it'd be something else. And for some people, it is something else, right? It's sports or Fast and Furious or what the fuck ever, right? Like. I, I I think like his attitude too of that like that it's kind of all or nothing is inherently kind of like problematic because again let's let's take it to look at like the last ten years of popular media. Yes, superhero movies have dominated popular media and been kind of the driving thing in film, but like what is arguably the most popular television show of the last decade until it had its last season. Game of, Game of Thrones. Thrones. And what was the appeal of Game of Thrones to those who watched it and who championed it? Was that it wasn't black and white? Was that it was challenging? Was that it raised questions that made you uncomfortable? Was that it did all those things? The culture is still interested in that kind of art. It's just that sometimes you don't want that. Sometimes you want a love story or a story of good and evil or something that's simple and digestible to distract you from the fact that your life is not simple and digestible. And, you know, I don't know. I think it's easy for an artist who has gone through the struggle and is established and, like, you know, knows what he thinks and feels to say those things when he's not maybe experiencing that same grind, you know, that he was when he was in his 20s or 30s or whatever. Um, So I don't know. Like, I I don't think that, like, there's no merit to what he's saying, but I think it's – it's a little too broad and sweeping for for my tastes, you know, and maybe that's because I was too influenced by his art. But you heard it here first, folks. Pete's the big man baby, and he needs his diapy wipey changed. Yes, and I want it to be by a person in a cape. I I, I did just want to address the the graphic novel call out where he's like the way the industry has changed. It's graphic novels now. Um, it's entirely priced for an audience of middle class people. Like I, I don't know that necessarily. Like like that to me is a, a format choice. It's a way to tell a story, and I don't know why he has issues considering that him, Art Spiegelman, like there are people, uh, Will Eisner who who championed it as a way to 
to evolve the medium and it's weird that he's he's arguing against that but i guess based off of what we've been arguing against him for it kind of like tracks in his line of thinking um i i think i will say i'm glad you brought that up i think there is an argument to be made about his comment about how lower income people have been priced out of comics and that's problematic um i agree with that i do think that comics were kind of supposed to be and thrived as quote-unquote low art and um I, again, am inherently against that kind of distinction between high and low art. I think that, like, we have way too much of a tendency in our culture and in, like, the culture of criticism to critique genre art as being, like, lesser than um, inherently, which I think is ignorant and um, and very elitist. But I do think that there's a strong argument there that, like, the the, you know, audience for comics was supposed to be low-income people, people like children, people with less resources and less money, and that it's pretty much now a hobby that can exclusively be enjoyed by middle-class people with expendable income. At, at least, I think, in in abundance, right? Like, I'm, I'm sure you can still pick up, like, the that one single issue, maybe, but that's the limit. That's That's the maximum versus us being able to go into and pick up like 10 books or something. And like, who's doing that? Right. And like, and again, if you're poor, um, something like a video game is going to give you a lot more bang for your buck. Like if you're a lower income family and you're trying to provide entertainment for your children, you know, you're already paying for TV or Netflix or whatever. So whatever's on there is, is ostensibly built into your budget, right? If you buy your child a, a $60 video game that they can get hundreds of thousands of hours out of potentially, that's a way better investment than comics, which are something that you'll read in an afternoon and then be done with. Well, I I I read that point and and agreed with it because yeah. I look at um, manga as what comics were initially intended to be mm. with respect to ease of access, not story, but just in terms of the ability like format yeah the ability for a, a a person with little means to access and i think in that respect comic books have forgotten what they were for um and again things can evolve and i don't think that high priced comics should not exist i'm not i'm not speaking to that i think things like black label are great i think um you know those 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 trades that that dc does the earth one stuff i think all that's great but I don't feel like comics should be $5. I don't feel like comics should be $4. It shouldn't be the case that you can get a whole, like, I know so many people who read anime that either get it really, really dirt cheap online or they buy those, um, I don't know how they come, you know, those like, um, those volumes that they have. Yeah, like the yeah. floppy volume collection kind of things. And those things are shockingly cheap. Yep it's also like they're in black and white but to your point even if they were in color it'd still be cheaper yeah and that doesn't that feels wrong and i wish the industry would do something to address that but unfortunately that's not a superhero problem that's not a big two only problem i know they lead the media they lead the industry but every um every publisher of note has followed suit 
Captain America can't fix that. Uh, so I, I, I feel like this is an okay place to end the conversation. Um, I do think that you can make arguments for what Alan Moore is saying. Um, and it's a, it's a good brain, brain exercise. And that's why I wanted to talk about it more than anything because I couldn't let it go. Um, yeah, we do have to address our, our endless need for escapism. Um, we probably are going down a, a, a bad road, but it's not because of escapism. And I don't think it's, it's exclusive to superhero comics at all. Um, but hey, maybe in uh, maybe in twenty years we'll all be stuck to VR headsets and endlessly looping superhero movies over and over and over again, and uh, just As trying to live in the world of Wakanda. Yeah, yeah. Robert Kirkman will be like eighty years old, and he's just like, "Oh boy, I never saw this coming when I created Invincible." <laughs> <laughs> We would love to know your thoughts at home if you're listening about that issue. Do you think that superheroes, superhero movies are bad for us? Or um, do you think that they're okay? Uh, it's okay if you disagree with our general perspective, but uh, we'd love to hear it. Either way, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Get us on social media at thecomicspals. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can absolutely drop your thoughts there. In addition, leave us a like and subscribe to our channel. Those things are very much appreciated. Share this video with your friends and hit the notification bell so that you can be made aware of when we drop new content. You can join our Discord server where I have a feeling we will be talking about this this week. Uh, so if you want to be in on that conversation, you can head on over there and uh, speak to us there. Make sure that you guys check out our next book club. We are talking Kingdom Come. Uh, that's going to be a fun one. Uh, you guys are going to want to hear that conversation. That is a classic book. And uh, I think we had a really good conversation about it. So uh, check that out when it drops. Would you it say drops, it's challenging so? though, Sean? Um... <laughs> I didn't think it was that challenging, actually. <laughs> a good uh, conversation, but yeah. Uh, and and stay tuned for tomorrow because uh, if you're listening to this on Monday, Sandman comes out tomorrow. Yes, Sandman, oh, spectacular, bitch. Sandman, uh, yes. Infantile bullshit. <laughs> I wonder if Alan Moore would say such a thing about a Neil Gaiman work. <laughs> Contemporary, yeah. Mm, interesting. Uh so yeah, stay tuned for those things. Go check out the rest of our book clubs. I think at this point, if you like comics, we've talked about a book that you like. So give give that a look. Um, with that, let's get into the plugs. Pete. All right. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm Loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you want to get some more content from me, you can head over to Loot Pots and check out the weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, where I talk about other forms of escapism. Uh, so, uh, yeah, stay safe, stay sane, uh, enjoy what you enjoy. Awesome. Kale. You can find me not enjoying anything at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W on Instagram. Um, I guess I enjoy my dog. That's not fair. And your wife. He bites me a lot. She bites me a lot. Hey. Oh, uh, you can find my work at kaleward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Um, come find me on the Discord and I don't know 
Let's no, I don't want to argue. Let's play Among Us. I've never played. Yeah, bro. Help I'm me playing out. a lot of that. It's Help fun. Help me out. Why don't you ever invite me? God, fuck this. This is infantile <laughs> bullshit. That's right. That's right. Marco. You can find me at Mr. Marco Edamoto on Instagram and Twitter. I finished, God, what was that? Attack on Titan. Holy shit. Awesome. Right. Really, really good. <laughs> what Just I watched, mired, it was great. Mired in Holocaust Nazis bullshit. Yo, that was, a, that was a left turn that I didn't see coming. And you know what? It plays for the story. It's, it's good, man. Like, Okay. Um... This story, not the Nazism. Um, <laughs> and stay tuned for you to become either a DC simp or Marvel Mark in the Discord. DC dude. What? DC oh, dude? dude. We changed it. Sorry. You want a DC simp, huh? Image simp, then. It has to be kind of... Image idiot. Oh, <laughs> damn. Oh. Mark, right, you're fine. so bad at this. <laughs> Leave the creative names to me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he did come up with Marvel Mark. That's true. That was pretty good. That's right. I only came up with the comics, pals. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, Phil. So I just had this thought. Four years ago, we had an episode about who we were going to elect president, and we elected Wilson Fisk begrudgingly. It's about that time again, huh? We should, uh, we should talk about who's running against Wilson Fisk. So I think you should get at us in the Discord and see who uh, made it out of the campaign process. We'll, uh, we'll have a conversation and see who wins. Is he running for, for election? Really? Yeah, it's been four years. Fucking hell. Yeah. Reed Richards. Well, that would be a good one. The maker. <laughs> yeah, the evil oh, Reed Richards. <laughs> uh, uh, it's the maker. That's why we uh, That's why we have escapism, right? Those are the choices. <laughs> anyway, you can follow me at Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I just finished book two of Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, uh, feel a lot of things over the, the betrayal of Iroh. So hit up, uh, get at me with that. Huh? Nice. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. I'm currently rereading House and Powers of Ten nice. and really loving it. I will definitely have thoughts um, because already I have noticed things that I couldn't have possibly picked up on at the time because we didn't know what was to come and that book is very different now um so i i encourage you to reread it if you haven't in a while if you've never read it before pick it up now uh it's great stuff with that we're the comics pal signing off take care guys see you next week i have vision Ugh. oh you know who she run against wilson fisk Jared Leto's Joker. Oh God, Jesus! This fucking killed me. You really are damaged. (laughs) Anti-life.